Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Talking Comics Podcast. It's Wednesday, August 1st, 2022. You're listening to episode number 558. I am your host, Steve Say, and joining me for this week's show are Mr. Bob Ryer. You know, I, I know we passed the Major League Baseball trading deadline. Did I get traded to another podcast that I don't even know yet? No. Have you been moonlighting? I, I don't know. I'm checking. It's the deadline. People are moving all over. Mm, I don't know. Uh, Joey Brachino is here. I'm back, baby. Let's do it. <laughs> and Aaron Amos is here, too. All hail our Lord and Savior, Beyonce. <laughs> Coming in on a crystal horse. I don't even know where I'm supposed to fucking come in. God damn it. Uh, we have a show for you this week. We have lightning rounds. We have quite a bit of news. I'm actually a little bit surprised by the amount of news we have, considering that last week was our giant uh, SDCC info dump a cast. Yeah. Uh, and then I thought all would be quiet on the Western Front, but lo, there are things a brewing, and we will talk about them. It's another Sunday Times um, Thickness Edition, I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then. Uh, we have something special planned for the latter part of the show, um, kind of a, a tribute to uh, to a dear friend who has passed on uh, over this past weekend. So um, we we invite you all to join us for that. We're going to try to uh, celebrate this person. We will introduce them a little later. Hopefully, it'll be it'll be a nice way to to honor their memory. Ah. <sighs> I bought a new VR unit. I am uh, I am the proud owner of an Oculus Quest Two. Is that the new one? It's a, about two years old. Yeah, I think it's like white yeah. and it's got like the yeah. I know what you're talking about. I get motion sickness. This is the one <laughs> that when Melissa was on the show, mm-hmm. she was like, "You gotta you gotta work out with me. You gotta jump on board." So. News came out that they were going to be raising the base price of this thing by $100 on August 1st. That's today that we're recording. So unplanned, I was like, well, I'm not – they're not getting me for that. So I'm (laughs) going to get this thing now. Uh, So I bought one and it's come to the house. And so I'm signing up for Supernatural, which is the workout program thing that I'm going to join with Melissa. She keeps sending me screenshots of – different set lists and stuff that we can do. And they have like a bunch of different trainers. They're real people, not synthesoids or anything like that. So I'm digging into that. But the thing that I've been loving and playing and genuinely worked up a sweat playing by the third level. We bowling. 
No, <laughs> no, but I did actually hook up the Wii uh, a couple of months ago. I did. I, I brought it out from the archives and I hooked it up to our TV and it worked right away. And I, the first thing I did was play Wii Bowling. Of course. Um, but no, the, the, the game that I'm playing right now is called Pistol Whip. Oh, I know that. And it is, yeah, like you're basically John Wick but you're also getting a workout at the same time. There is a campaign mode with a, its own story and it's it's kind of very heavy handed and all, but it just looks so beautiful. And granted, I'm only playing on easy right now, so it's not too stressful, but I could definitely see where this game could get wildly difficult. You're basically walking through uh, different worlds, different themed worlds, and there are enemies coming out from here, there, and everywhere, and they shoot you, and their bullets move pretty slowly so that you actually have to dodge around them, and then you're you're constantly walking forward, and so you're kind of bobbing and weaving through pillars and stuff like that so you don't smash into it with everything with your headset. It is absolutely awesome, and I am I'm so pleased with it so far. I was sweating like mad by the end of that thing. It was great. But um, it's quite, it's a quality headset. Uh, if you can find one or you're thinking about getting one, I recommend it. It's real comfortable. Uh, it looks better than the PSVR. It doesn't have that like screen door effect the PSVR does. And um, games are expensive, though, so buy responsibly. Did you just get one headset uh, or two for you and Bronwyn? No, I got one. Yeah, uh, Bronwyn can't do VR uh, because of her chronic migraine stuff yeah. me neither man so. it's it's real it's intense and uh, i can only when i played it i like got maybe like i did maybe like 15 20 minutes and i was like i can't do this anymore yeah um one of the tricks if you're if you're a person who's prone to motion sickness in vr uh chew gum mm. while you're doing it uh it, it sends a signal to your brain that kind of tricks you into thinking that you're in perpetual movement mm. And it will it will quell the queasiness uh, a little bit. We always have a thing of gum handy in the basement just in case it starts to happen when I use the VR. But um, it's a smooth ride. It's a it's a quality system so far. I kind of wish that there were more games. I was a little surprised by how little there was, but um, it looks like the stuff that is good is really good. So we'll see. I kind of I have to pace myself. I can't buy everything at once. Um, I already have one other thing that I'm I'm really looking forward to trying. But uh, more on that as I explore. Um, anybody else up to anything lately, or do we want to just jump into lightning routes? Sadly, I'm for, I have no, for jumping. Wait a minute! No, no, no! Hold on! Hold on, Joey. Yeah. Last week, yeah. you weren't here. Yeah. And when I texted you to ask you if you were going to be uh, here, yeah. You told me that you were at a voodoo ceremony. Yeah. Can you explain? No. <laughs> wow. Steve <laughs> Rogers, end of end game. They got no. to you, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, no, I did, as I have done a few summers now, um, these National Endowment for the Humanities seminars for teachers. Uh, the NEH is a wonderful uh, program and they sponsor these summer workshops for educators around the country to come and learn about some topic and uh, you know, whatever. And this year I applied to one and got accepted to one in New York city. 
at the Union Theological Seminary with the Interfaith Center exploring the religious worlds of New York City. Um, New York City obviously is a very religiously diverse place. So basically it was me and 24 other teachers from all across the country, Seattle, California, New York, obviously, North Carolina, just like everywhere. Um, And uh, yeah, we spent the last three weeks exploring different religious traditions and going to visit houses of worship and talking about how we can best explore religious diversity and the religious lives of our students um, in the classroom. And one of those features uh, was to do these site visits. So we visited a synagogue and we visited a mosque and we visited a church. And last Monday when y'all were recording, I just so happened to be in Canarsie visiting a Haitian voodoo ceremony in a backyard. Mm. And uh, it was a trip, man. And That's um, Yeah, it was a ton of fun. Really wonderful. A really great exercise. First of all, I love doing it because it's so fun being – essentially being in the classroom again as a student. Like I learned so much not just from our – these experts and panels and, you know, in, in this case, like leaders of these traditions that came in to talk to us. But also just from my colleagues, like these teachers from all over, some who have been teaching for 30 years and some who are literally going into their first year teaching this time. And I realized now that like, and I felt so weird about it, but like at one point during like the second week, this kid, and I'll call them a kid, was like, you know, it's just so wonderful being in here um listening to all of you that have been teaching for so long and i'm just going to be a new teacher next year like joey you said these things and i was like fuck like i'm so old now like i've been doing i've been teaching for over 10 years now at this point so like yeah i'm i'm kind of in like the middle guard here at at the at this institute but yeah it's so fun and i i was messaging with john and i was like john we need to coordinate one summer so that we both take one of these workshops together and we go to them together um, cause they're all over the country. You know, I did one in California a few years ago. I was in West Virginia a few years ago. I don't know if y'all remember. So like, I, I, they're amazing and I love doing them. Um, and actually I, I mentioned this on my, when I was on the show two weeks ago, but I said that I might do my final project on kind of like Islam and Ms. Marvel. And I did, I ended up doing it and, uh, I wrote a whole curriculum on, a nice. unit plan on Ms. Marvel and representation. What? Yeah. On representations of Islam and Pakistani American experience in the Ms. Marvel TV show and comic. Yeah. That's so cool. It was really cool. And, uh, I met some really awesome people and experienced some really crazy things. And I'm really grateful for the last three weeks, man. Look at you out there enriching yourself. That's how you got to do it, man. What was your favorite thing that you experienced in your, your tour day religion? <laughs> Uh, I really, I, I really loved the last, so the, the voodoo, the voodoo ceremony was incredible. We also did a walking tour of Harlem because the interfaith center is up by, um, Columbia. We did a walking tour of Harlem where we kind of visited 
basically kind of like Muslim, the Muslim history of Harlem. And we did a walking tour that was really cool to kind of walk around and see like, oh yeah, there's the the Islamic Brotherhood building and there's where Malcolm X wow. was hanging out with so-and-so. And like, yeah, so that was a really cool wow. experience too. Um, actually, here's what I'll say. One really r- wonderful experience was we visited the Buddhist temple in Chinatown. There's one on Mott Street and then there's one right by the Manhattan Bridge for my New Yorkers out there. And I was at the Buddhist temple and we're walking up to it. And I look over to my right and I'm like that my grandparents live in that building right there and have lived in that building my entire life. And I have looked down from their window at this temple my entire life and I have never gone into it ever. So, and I was talking to the the director of the the building and I was like, it is just so remarkable that this like, this building that services the community in such an important way, I have never had any reason to go into. And yet now here I am, you know, and it's just like, it's like, it's like literally in in your backyard, uh, these things are happening every day. So that was a really cool experience. And they say you can never go home again. Yeah. Look at that. It was cool. It was really cool. Did a lot of reading, did a lot of like homework. So yeah, it's fun. Well, I don't know about the homework part, but the rest of it sounds really awesome. Yeah. That's very cool, man. Yeah, that's see. And here you were silent. How dare you? (laughs) I was busy. That's why I wasn't in the chat. I was busy literally reading and going to uh, rituals and ceremonies and masses all the time. Yeah. I love it, man. That's so cool. That's really, really cool. All right. Uh, speaking of lightning, it is currently raining cats and dogs outside my window. So let's hope that the old polar bear internet holds up. Shows a black Adam. Yep. Um, Aaron, hi. Well, hello. <laughs> Uh, uh, I, I, I would I would like to to talk about magic and flamingos <laughs> and the color green, if you please. Sure, why not? Hold on. My, apparently, so is my dog. She's got a pinion sitting right behind me and randomly barking for whatever reason. Anyway, we did all the shots of dams and all that stuff. All right, let's just yes. get into this. So, I, as you may recall from last week's episode, I was all a quiver at the realization that the Magic Order number three <laughs> was coming out, the first issue. Uh, I, I really was. I was. I was giddy. I really, really was because I was so excited. I'm like, it's it's an embarrassment of riches between this and some of the other books that have come out. Anyway, so jumped right into that, and this is I said before the sh- before the show that it took me a second to sort of refresh my memory as to what kind of happened in this book, because I read it almost as soon as it came out, because I was just that excited. It's probably the only book that is pre-ordered in my comiXology list. It, when it comes out, it pops up in my stack. Um, okay. She's now she's growling at the back of my head. Really strange. I don't know what's going on. If I go down, just know that my dog went mad and she killed me. Um, <laughs> so we'll send help. Uh, you shouldn't say that we had a lady out here eaten by her pit bull this week. Yeesh. Well, that's a bad yeah. day. Um, Mark Millar, Gigi Cavanego. So you may recall from the last issue, well, actually, probably a through line from the previous two uh, volumes. Cordelia Moonstone, the main character, has a habit of doing spells that are basically forbidden and will essentially 
you know, rock the magical world forever. And there's consequences each time that she does it. Well, this issue, although it hints at there being consequences and some of the actions in the book sort of, uh, sort of lean into that and sort of preparations for those consequences, uh, it really is sort of a setting up of the world again, not necessarily a setting up an expansion of the world. Um, we get to see that, you know, previously we've seen the American version of the order. And then last year we were introduced to the English version of the order. Well, now we are checking out the Asian order and here we go. Uh, so it's, we don't really get a whole lot of a relationship between the two just to know that it looks like uh, the magic order is coming together because of some shenanigans going on in the Asian part of the world uh, where the Asian order is basically overseeing things, but they may, they, there may be someone inside the fold there who is contributing to some of the shenanigans. So they have to make sure that they get over there. But for, but this issue is really just reintroducing us to some of our favorites and sort of showing what they've done since the last time we've seen them. Uh, but while at the same time, introducing a couple of new characters and just giving us that wacky, weird, world of magic that just for some reason seems a little bit more real than anything else that deals in such type, in those types of magical powers. Um, I'm in, it's just, you know, we, we also get to meet a mysterious character and I don't even, to be honest with you, I don't even know why she's mysterious, but it's their mother. It's Cordelia's mother. And just this deal that had to be made to find her uh, to connect was it it alone lets you understand exactly how grave the consequences of this spell that Cordelia cast uh, will be. Um, I'm you know it, it, this is what he does. He sets the pieces of his mystery in place, and he lets you sort of slowly piece it together. You won't always know up front exactly what's happening, but you will be amazed when he puts it all together. The Cabernet art again. It's not Olivia Coppel. Um, it's it's doing what it's supposed to do, but I do miss the, a lot of the clean lines and the flow of Olivia Coppell. It's not a entirely different, you know, it's not a Raphael Albuquerque, but it's not an entirely different style. It's a similar style, so it sort of does lead you to that same feeling. But there are some of the expressions and the characterizations that maybe are a little bit different um, that will take a, a minute or two to get used to. But still, the the it gives you what the book is supposed to look like. It gives you that sort of um, the coloring and the the lines, the flowing lines and all that stuff is still there. So check it out. You know, I'm always down for the magic order. Next book, Sins of the Black Flamingo 2. As you know, um, I always like to sort of, when I read a number one, I like to follow up and sort of let you know what my thoughts are as the story progresses. Andrew Wheeler, Travis Moore, Tamara Bonvillon, and Aditya Bidikar. Gay, gay, gay. (laughs) (laughs) Gay, gay. This book is the gayest thing I have seen since I looked in the mirror this morning. It is. (laughs) So so we got our character, Sebastian Harlow, who is... (laughs) He wants to be a badass. He wants to convince you that he doesn't care, but obviously his actions betray him because, you know, we once again find him helping someone and putting himself in peril. But he does it all while giving you the classic stereotypical gay wit and bite and unaffectedness while, you know, essentially continuing to risk his life. 
this character is just sort of polar opposites of 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 what he's trying to be, what he's saying he is. Who he is is polar opposite of what he says he is. Um, you know, I don't want to spoil too much uh, if you haven't read the first one, but I will say, you know, we find ourselves with, you know, as he's going through and helping characters in the first issue, you find that there's a character in the end that really needs his help, and it's a character that is you didn't expect to see. That picks up in this issue, um, and he is a basically a man on the run trying to protect this this individual, and it takes him through some really interesting parts of town, not to mention a circuit party. Now, if you don't know what a circuit party is, I'm just going to have you Google it because I'm not your gay teacher. But <laughs> if you what is it? A circuit party. It's circuit a circuit party. A circuit party. What did I just say? <laughs> Sorry, no. Circuit a city. Party. Yes, like a circuit city party. <laughs> no, there are All lots right. of DVD players. No, um. Oh. No, there's a, it's a circuit party. Um, and if you know what it is, you know what it is. But I will tell you, the the, the artistic depiction is extremely on point. It's very accurate. Um, I don't necessarily know if there are as many circuit parties out there as there used to be, but it's a backdrop for one of the big scenes, you know, in this issue that provides a good amount of comic relief for me. Um, it's just, they are just going full gay, full, full gay in this. Um, but at the same time, there are still stakes. Uh, as we said before, Sebastian is trying to protect this individual. He comes up with a plan. There's some very bad people that are after him comes up with a plan uh, to basically draw people into a space where he can control the outcome. And that works, except he got a little bit too cocky. And the final scene was one where it may actually be the final scene in a sense for him. So yeah, very good book. I I am enjoying it. It's just fun. It's fun, fun, fun and gay. So just (laughs) lean into that. I can't. I can't. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, (laughs) moving on. We'll give everyone a minute to compose themselves. <laughs> Moving on. Um, Green Lantern, Beware My Power, another DC Universe um, animated movie. Uh, Aldous Hodge, as you may know, as Hawkman in the upcoming uh, Black Adam movie, is playing Jon Stewart in this movie. Uh, and then there's a bunch of oh, other cool. just voice actors. Um, and there's something <laughs> about this man. A bunch of other voice actors. Um, Disrespectful. <laughs> yeah, look it up. Um, no, I... I'll, I'll start from the end with this one. Uh, my my, The things that I really want to talk about the most. I'm really enjoying this new universe that they've created. Some people are referring to it as the Rebirth universe or whatever. I'm really, really enjoying it for a variety of reasons. Number one, it feels more like the characters that we are used to seeing in these you know, stories. It feels more like a Jon Stewart. It feels more like a Hawk Girl. It feels more like you know, a green arrow, it, it, the, the, the green, those characters that we've, you know, spent years and years and years, you know, learning to growing to love it feels more like that. Also, there is much better story plotting um, and, and, and beats use of, of sort of emotional beats and story beats. There's, it's not heavy handed on the humor. The humor is not goofy. It's, but it's, it's appropriately placed. There's more stakes and there's consequences you know, uh, you all remember, I don't know, Bob, I remember, you all might be too young. You know, you couldn't say things as we were, were you know, as you remember watching Saturday Morning Cartoon, Bob. You know, you weren't allowed to say things like kill or murder or there wasn't allowed oh. to be too much violence uh, on TV because, you know, you didn't want to have those 
things influence our kids. Well, they don't really care about that here. Now, it's not gratuitous, <laughs> but when it matters, they include it and it gives you the impact and the influence that you, you expect to see. Um, so I'm really enjoying these. This is a scenario where we have how, uh, let me back up again. We have John Stewart, get a little bit of a background of, of him, you know, as a soldier, some of the trauma that he experiences as a soldier, then also trying to reintegrate back into uh, civilian life has a little bit of difficulty because in the, at his heart, he's still a good guy. He's still a good Samaritan. That sometimes gets him into some situations when he uses his you know military background to rescue some people. In any event, shortly after something like this happens, um, we find ourselves watching a guardian fly across the sky and land crash land uh, right in front of uh, John Stewart. It turns out it wasn't an accident, but he was actually looking for John Stewart. Um, and so uh, the, the, the story begins. Um, it really is about, it starts off being a story about John Stewart not really believing that he is worthy of this honor. Um, he essentially is really just sticking around because he wants to make sure he can figure out how to get the ring off and give it back to who it belongs to. I'm not going to ruin who it belongs to because that's a major story point. But over the course of him getting engaged with all the things that are happening here, having to team up with Green Arrow, this isn't a spoiler because it's in the, in the if you watched the previous and the previous, having to team up re- with Green Arrow and Hawkgirl um, to basically manage what could be a planet, multi-planet war that could end in the destruction of both of them. Um, he, his, his sense of self and the sense of who he is can't allow that to happen. So even though he's not that great at being a Green Lantern, he's very new at it. He doesn't hesitate to throw himself into the mix and realize that he's got to help prevent this. He's got to save these people. He can't let people die, um, especially as a soldier, um, especially innocent people. And they really play into that. They play into the PTSD aspect of it. They play into the trauma, but they also do it respectfully. I really, really enjoyed this movie. Um, It's got a lot of great action, a lot of great characters. Um, There wasn't a Batman or a Superman to be seen anywhere, which I loved, which, you know, is something that they hadn't historically done because they always felt like they needed to have one of those two characters in the movie to sell it. Um, Yeah, they got to crowbar them in somewhere. They have to show them it. They mention their names. Basically, yeah, they're both off mission. They'll be back in a week. Um, that was pretty much it. I highly recommend this movie. I just think it's a great introduction to John Stewart in this universe. Um, the mm. artwork is very, very clean. It's very comic booky. It gives me a. I was trying to remember which comic book artist it reminds me of, and it gives me um, Yara Flora. Who did Yara? Is that um, Joel Jones? Oh, uh, Joel Jones. Joel Jones. Joel Jones. Joel Jones. Yeah. It definitely gives me Joel Jones vibes. Wow. Um, some of the interesting. You know, okay. It definitely does. Um, you have to sort of look at just the clean lines, the clean, the coloring. Um, it's there. Um, it's not a hundred percent match, but you definitely see the influences if you if you watch this movie. So I, I strongly, highly recommend it. You know, get on that. Again, Sands of the Black Flamingo, gay, but <laughs> every time you get me, I can't. I read I read about half of it. I, I just had so much going on the last week I wasn't able to finish it. And that book is surprisingly like a lot happens. A lot happens in that book. There's a lot of storytelling going on. And I had to like kind of go back and read the first one too. But it is a it is a very, very 
I'll say, I'll say, well drawn book. <laughs> there are the, there's, a the, there's a lot of nipple and like like accurate nipples. Like if you look, at, <laughs> if I like showed you a picture of the nipple, you'd be like, is that a photograph? Like that's how. <laughs> it's a really good. Thomas Morris doing his best work on there. If we had a category on the best of like best nipples, I think that this book. <laughs> You know what? We can. We can do whatever we, we can want. have that category. But it's also like the the V. The V. I'm writing it down. And if you know Best what I'm talking trails. about, you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Oh, the yeah. V cut is like mm, in this book. Um, yep. And then you have like a golem running around like yelling at people. So like it is a <laughs> – like the book well, The book is a lot of fun. And the premise of it is a, a lot of fun too. It's, it's gorgeous. Like the artwork on here, I think it's the artist at his best. Like – and I've seen – it's Travis Moore, right, on the art? Yep. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So Travis I've seen Moore. his work before a couple of times in some different books, but like here, I think he's just having it's just so much fun here. And it's <clears throat> it is a good looking book. I'll give you that. We've already got three new categories. <laughs> should we decide to uh <laughs> do some awards this year? Well we've already best happy trainers, so spoiler. <laughs> best V and best nipples. It's an entire episode dedicated to the sins of the black flamingo, and it's just different sexy awards that we give to it. <laughs> I yo, I'm all for it. We gotta do something to switch things up. I'm all for it. Best uh, <laughs> Exactly. And there's like, so, there's like some undies, like the little. I'm not seeing a lot of like. Well, we won't get into it. It's fine. Yeah, you know, it is what it is. Get into it, man. No, That's why no, we're no, here. No, no, no. We got other books to talk about. Yeah, but don't skip over the best stuff. <laughs> the, yeah. It's just everyone. Yeah, everyone's just looking a little. Speaking of, you know, the, the booties are a little flat for me. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah, little, I won't lie. They could have They could have used some. They could have used a little bit of um, what's it? You know, I was just gonna say it, but I had. They could have been doing. They could have done some squats. Yeah, they they could have been doing some squats. Yeah, a little bit some squats, some like kettlebell swings, kind of night squats. Night squats. They could have been doing some night squats to get those (laughs) those glutes. glutes. You got to engage the glutes glutes at the top of the squat. (laughs) Um, Anyway. All the people in these circuit party photos look like they're having a really good time. Uh, and you know what? The comic does a great job of capturing that good time as well. Yes. I, I, like I it looks like a blast. There's confetti everywhere. There's disco lights. There's music. All right. Am I the only person? Nobody looks like they're, party here? you know. Odds are yes. Okay. It, I can't lie. That's very much what it looks like. They may have G-rated it a little bit for this book, but that's pretty much what, you know, at least back in the day, a circuit party would look like. You got people who can, who have 0% body fat squeezing in there, every type of lycra showing off, every type of whatever glittered up to it's like a It's It looks like a gay rave. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes there'd be foam. Sometimes there's not. Sometimes you know. There's I'm foam. telling you, there's one. There's one photo on Google if you if you search for Circuit Party that looks exactly like the Daft Punk Coachella performance that I was at. So I had to do a double take. I was like, Whoa, "What? Oh no! Okay, there's no UFO on the stage." And the music is so loud. <laughs> Damn it! Ears bleed. Yep. That's oh boy, man. Okay, um, and I'm really glad to hear about the Green Lantern Beware My Power. It's been a while since you've come back from watching any of the animated stuff where you were really jazzed about it. 
It was, it was really well. It really was. It was just, it wasn't a lot of buildup. It sort of got you right into the story. It engaged you because it, it fed you more and more of the universe um, as it went along in a good enough pace so that it didn't, you know, I've complained in the past about the first hour and 20 minutes of movies being all set up. And then like the last 20 minutes is, you know, all the things you wish it existed in the first half of the movie. Um, this really, and I think we kind of said the same thing about um, the long Halloween or yeah, long Halloween, how we like the way that was paced as well. Um, I really yeah. think they are, they have figured it out. They have figured it out with this new universe that they've structured. Um, they're taking time. They're taking care to, to focus. And they, I really, really love that they are finally realizing, at least on the animated side, that the entire universe is not Batman Superman. Um, and right. they're, they're using these I didn't mention some of the other characters that are in this. Um, one may or may not speak to Bob. Positively or negatively, I can't tell. Um, but yeah, uh, I will just say he ran so far away, ran so far away. Hmm. So far away. Bob will figure it out. Gotta get away. Um, I don't know that I'm going to figure it out. So maybe we should move on to our next lightning round. So tell us, Aaron. That's strange. Yeah, it happens. <sighs> the clue. Do you want to tell us who it is? Please. I literally just did. <laughs> oh. Oh, I Adam said, Strange. Dare you? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, the way you, the way you, All the right. way you're describing it though, does sound like a throwback to the Justice League and Justice League Unlimited kind of characterizations, and I'm willing for that. I think you'll like this movie. I really do. I think you'll like this movie, Bob, a lot. Again, you got a little bit of Vixen in here. You got, got a little bit of Martian Manhunter. You got a little bit of Green Arrow. Well, you got a lot of Green Arrow. Oh, and the one thing I will say that I think you will actually like, Bob, is I don't know if they always show this in any of the other stories that they share spaces. Even in the comics anymore, I don't think they show this. But the fact that Green Arrow and Green Lantern are best friends Um. You know, there that's talked up, you know, you know, mm. in the book, uh, Green Arrow and, and, and Hal Jordan being best friends. That's talked up a bunch in the story. So, um, yeah, I, I again, this is why I'm saying I think it, it feels like is leaning into history. Cool. So let's check it out. Right on. Bob, Bob, you want to do your lightning round? Sure. Why not? Let's go. So, three quick hitters before the main event. I picked up Genesville number one by Peter David, one on Ramirez, Federico Blee, and Ariana Mar, strictly for Peter David. And I wasn't disappointed at all. Now, I haven't read anything of the, quote, son of the only original Captain Marvel, well, in years. But with a quick recap segment, I was pretty able to pick up what was going on and get up to speed with a very multi-themed story that spanned the galaxy with a couple of mysteries. And look, there's a ton of Peter David here. There's lots of little humor and references. And if you love Peter before, loved, we all loved X Factor back in the day. Uh, you might want to give Genesville a shot. Strange number five, Jed McKay 
Marcello Ferreira, Roberto Paggi, Jada Tarciaga, and Corey Pettit has its centerpiece. A dinner engagement with Clea Strange and her mother, Umar, mistress and warlord of the Dark Dimension. Things are a bit strained between mother and daughter, but just when relations seem to be thawing, the blasphemy cartel struck with another reanimated super being. Look, you got a great mixture of lightness and dark here as the dinner conversation just had a lovely comedic vibe, and that carried on even into the battle. One more issue in this arc, which looks to have an interesting conclusion, they are, however, soliciting issues into October, so I think this may continue, but it's Marvel, so don't take my word for gospel. Loving Strange. Uh, the variants number two, Gail Simone, Phil Noto, Corey Pettit, took this Jessica Jones mystery to some very dark places in Jess's world and psyche. At the close of the last issue, two doppelgangers appeared at her home, and while that sort of resolved itself with the help of Luke Cage, her anxiety about what's happening and who could be behind her troubles started spiraling out of control. This whole story, not surprisingly, is building beautifully. And speaking of beautiful, Phil Noto, am I right? (laughs) Look, you're just bringing elements from throughout Jessica's rather complicated past. But it's beautifully balanced so as not to seem like Karmic's Archaeology 101, which can very often happen when you're trying to do these sorts of characters. Look, it's Gail Simone. It's gorgeously written, beautifully illustrated variants. Finally... Uh, Here we go. I have held off talking about Artemis Wanted number one, as frankly, I've been a fan of Vita Allah's work and didn't want my distaste for the storyline in this book and the Trial of the Amazons event to overwhelm this review. Hmm. As an individual entity, this issue is, is, you know, it it features really nice artwork. Uh, Skylar Partridge and Rima Fajardo Jr., and separate from the well thing that bothers me about all this, it's just a fine little mystery with a nice message. <sighs> However, and spoiler alert here, and let me preface this by saying that I don't know whether the big twist from the trial was decreed by editorial or was something pitched during an Amazonian, Amazonian roundtable. So let me tender everything that comes next with that. Here... The murder of Hippolyta by Artemis in that event was revealed to be not only a scheme by Hippolyta herself to unite the Amazons, quote unquote, but one that would allow her to ascend to godhood and be a patron for the Amazons. Look, I know death in comics is never final unless you're Ben Parker, but this just didn't work for me as it once again undercut the power of Hippolyta as a character across 80 years. And it stands in sharp contrast to what we're seeing over in Historia, for instance. And distancing Hippolyta from her role as Diana's mother knocks down an important tentpole that supported this book since day one. Additionally, I think that it undercuts Nubia and Artemis as well. As in my heart and head, any of those women's past achievements should have been respected enough to create a unity amongst the Amazons. So this subterfuge. I mean, it's, it struck me as an old trope regarding women in power, and that's awfully sad, considering the hows and whys of this series' creation in 1941. 
That's it for me. Joey, why don't you jump in? What did I read? What did I read? Oh, I read Jenis Vell. Okay. Partly just because Peter David was on it. And I was like, oh, let's do it. Um, and then I was like, like you, I was like, let's do it. And then I was like, wait a minute. Who's this I don't guy? remember any of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he had shown up in the Captain Marvel's kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's how he came back. Um, I will say that, first of all, uh, the artist is Juan, Juan, um, Juan Ramirez. Yes. Stunning. Yes. The artwork is incredible in this book. That was the thing that kept me reading, to be honest, when I kind of realized or remembered that I had no idea who these characters were. But then as you're reading, like you said, Peter David, I think is just such a gifted, you know, he's such a, has a gifted handle on how to pace a book, how to write a book to keep you engaged. Even if you're unfamiliar with a lot of this stuff, X factor was a lot of kind of back wall characters, right? Top to bottom. Mm-hmm. So um, I did have to Wikipedia afterwards uh, and I felt good about Wikipedia afterwards because I was actually interested in these characters and Marlowe and moon dragon and all these people that show up in the thing. Uh, it felt to me like in a good way, a kind of classic superhero comic, you know, with kind of cosmic tinges, but a very grounded reality that like the, 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 the intersection between Janice Vell and Rick Jones, mm-hmm. I think is at the core of the character and helps to both ground this story, but allows it to also do some kind of wacky alien stuff. The artists aliens look incredible. Yeah. And all those Janice Vell scenes look amazing. I had a ton of fun with Janice Vell. I was surprised I wish that it had been called Janice Vell and Rick Jones, number one, because I think that uh, it's a Rick Jones book, too, which I guess yeah. I just I, I, I guess I just want Rick Jones to get some title cred sometimes, you know, he always just shows up in things. Um, and has since Hulk number one in yeah, and he's just like never like, yeah. He never gets to kind of share yep. a title. But anyway, uh, and I also read Variants, uh, even though last month I said that I was probably going to trade weight for it. Um, I think some of my, my confusion isn't the right word, but kind of sense of what is happening is still there. I think the issue number two goes a long way to answer some of those questions from issue one. Uh, there's a moment where the, the, the book is called variants. So I will say there's a moment where the variants are in very clearly different costumes. Mm-hmm. And that helped me a lot. But then in the very next scene, one of them changes and is wearing the same costume as another one. And I'm like, Gail, you blew it. Like I, like I knew where we were. I knew who the characters were. And now I don't anymore. But I think that confusion is part of the book. And I, I think that as the, I think, what are we looking at? Five issues? Five six? issues as far as I know. Five issues? I think that especially once we get into next month with issue three, I think that the the parameters of the variants in the book will be much clearer. Um, the scenes with Luke uh, and Danielle and Jessica together yeah. are just, just like incredible. Like I love that family. I love those characters as someone who goes all the way back to, to, to alias and you know, the pulse. Like I love that i love that story and i'm glad that it's become such a mainstay in the marvel continuity proper so yeah i i think it's a great book um i think if you felt lost after issue one 
Some of that will go away. In not YouTube. all. Not all. Not all of it. And I think, obviously, as we talked about last week, I think that's by design. Um, but I'm willing to, like, I'm very willing to run along with this journey. I think it's going to be a really great miniseries. Yeah, tons, of, tons of fun guest stars. And, and seeing little Danny and having her wear an Iron Fist t-shirt is really cool. The, okay, so the the kind of big cameo after the first cameo in the beginning of the book, which is always fun to see, and the references yeah. to a team that we loved in the first scene, which is great. Uh, the big cameo, oh. the fact that that, that character, I'm not going to spoil it, yeah. but the fact that that character is wearing a particular costume in that scene also just like threw me for a loop. And I was like, which variant are we with? Like what universe? I don't know what's happening. <laughs> yes. And then it, it becomes clear, obviously, as the, as the scene's going on, but like it's that kind of thing that just like I I just like need to reread the book over and over again, which is not a, this is a, at all a bad thing at all, and I think it's like it makes the book so fun. Um, yeah, what's the next twist going to be? Yes, yeah, yeah. I think that what I'm probably going to end up doing is end up reading along with you, Bob, because I know you're going to read it every month. Mm, yes, but then I'll probably read it again just that's in a, a single lot. sitting, top to bottom. Yeah. yeah, I think, and then and that's when I think I'll get like the full impact of it. Mm-hmm. Now, in, in terms of, of Jess's outfits, she does make a comment early on, which talking to the character she speaks to early on, and, and they're talking about superheroines dressing all sorts of ways. Me, yeah, I have I have two jackets, and one's got blood stains on it. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed this book. I really did. I um, again, I think I said it the first time we talked about issue one. Uh, I have a appreciative but passing relationship with Jessica Jones. Um, and I think this book is giving me a lot of what I, I like about that character. I like that, you know, she's not, for, for someone who is so powerful, she's not exactly incredibly confident, but she is competent. And it's, you know, it's a, it's not necessarily a characterization you see because you can't, you don't often have those, those characters you know, standing up with the Avengers, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. And I like that she pointed out, you know, when she was having that conversation, I like my crappy office. I don't, you know, like you said, like you're saying about basically she doesn't belong in that space where she wants, where she wants everyone to see her. She wants to fade into obscurity, fade into the background. I really appreciate that. I really liked um, the story sort of drug, you know, sort of carried me through. It sort of, you know, kept me going. I do. I, I was going to mention, like you said, Joey, that scene where Luke shows up, that was just, that was just perfection to me. Just perfection Mm -hmm. to me. Not that I felt like he needed to be there for her to get out of that situation, but that, that realization or that affirmation of that family bond is there. And I, I, I really loved it. Um, At the lines of dialogue that, that precede him showing up, uh, the doppelgangers yeah. are there, and it's Jessica. You know, you two scared my kid, Cap. You're in the most dangerous real estate in the world. You know that. What Hell's Kitchen? Not like, scared, yeah, lady. Kitchen. No, not Hell's Kitchen. I mean, the small patch of carpet between my husband and his daughter. And there's Luke <laughs> just in there. It's like that's Luke Cage from the '70s, right there, baby. It's like you. I dare you to move. Exactly. You to move. Um. Yeah, I I love that. I really really love that. I do have to ask a question again. Can Jessica Jones fly or not? I asked this once before in the show. Yes. 
Yes. Yeah, kind of. I think in I Alias. I remember during the, when the series one I asked. Yeah. But go ahead. She, she, she says that, like, I think she talks about it in either Alias or, or like, Young Avengers or something, where she's like, she she can, but she's not good at it. Yeah, she lands really badly, for instance. Yeah, yeah, like, she's not good at flying, so she doesn't like to do it. Um, but, yeah, she can, but she's not good. And, like, I think I, I seem to recall this instant where she's like, I don't understand how people can just fly. <laughs> like, like she's like, I, 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 I'm terrible. I look like a, like a chicken, like, or something <laughs> like that. Like, she, like, so, yeah, she can, but she's, she's not good. Gotcha. So <laughs> pretty sure. Janice Vell, I read it. I enjoyed it. I think I enjoyed it because I think there was a part of me that enjoyed how lost I was <laughs> reading it. Um, and realizing that there's, you know, so much for me to learn about this character. I think I was excited to learn more about the character. But as I said off air, I really need Bob to give me some background or somebody to give me some background because I was so there. I definitely at every page turn, I felt like, okay, this is clearly referencing something that happened 300 years ago. In in some book. Oh, and this is clearly well, you can just tell by ago, the way yeah. he was dropping. Yeah. You could just tell how, how when the way they were dropping lines of things that were happening and those like little flashbacks. I was like, okay, this is clearly something that was a critical moment in the history. I don't know how they were merged, but I did I understand that story. I don't know how they were unmerged. I thought I don't, all that stuff. It's just like I'm like, wait, why does everyone think he was dead? What's going on? I don't understand. Was he dead? Trust I heard about him Peter before, David, but, he will tell you. That's what I'm saying. It was just very, very, very strange to me, but I really enjoyed. It. I, I agree. The art was was awesome. Um, I do. I do think. You know, I, I, I think that this past couple of weeks. Oh no, never mind. I just, I just realized there's one that wasn't. The art has been consistently good for me at Marvel, but then I forgot about that one book. So never mind. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I guess I was going to say it seems like Marvel is remembering the relationship between art and tone and story. So, I don't know. I just really like this, though. But that's all. Has anyone been checking out Strange? I've been buying them. I just haven't read them. Okay. I'm in the same boat as Aaron. I need to I need to catch up with it. I, mean, I, I literally um, have all of them. I have all of them. I just it's going to read well together. That's why I'm asking. I think you'll you'll have a good time with strange. Actually, a strange number four. Why did I say it was strange number five? Um, I have a question for you, Bob. Okay. Not related to any of the books from your lightning round, okay. but I, I feel like you could answer this question. I've been trying to catch up with Fantastic Four, uh-huh. and I've gotten to the Reckoning War issues now. What years in the making? Bentley 23 was up to his, his court related schemes. And then all of a sudden Reed walks into a room and his eyes are glowing. I feel like I missed something. Was there a reckoning war zero or yes, something yeah, like that? I believe there was. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Is it necessary to read that to get the whole picture? Because I walked in, they walked in 
and I had no idea what was going on. Quick, quick version of it, and hopefully it's not spoiling too much for others. In the midst of all this, Reed has basically downloaded the Watchers into his own brain. Right. And yeah, that's why his eyes are glowing and doing stuff. Okay, they do they do explain that, but I was well, I was wondering if there was more no, to that's it. That's about all there is. Just okay. just go with it from there. Uh, I'm sure no one was reading read Artemis Wanted number one, right? I couldn't. No, I have not. Good for you. I just couldn't. <laughs> Look, it's a fine book for what it is. I'm not going to slag. The artwork is really nice and as put out there what needs what story needs to be told is is done reasonably well it's just it makes no sense to the histories of these characters and uh, again i don't know whose decision it was but I, I i don't get it i don't get how a company and i'll go to the company can devalue the third leg of their trinity as much as they constantly do well, Do you think this Amazon initiative over in the Wonder Woman corner has maybe lost the plot a little bit? Except for one person, yes, and we know who that is. <laughs> Wonder Woman Historia is brilliant. It's a reason it won an Eisner Award. Wonder yeah, Woman, it's outside, oh, that's outside of the continent. Yeah, no, I, wouldn't, Wonder, I wouldn't. Wonder Woman, yeah. the book itself... Becky Clune and Michael W. Conrad has been better of late when they got out of being the Lady Sif adventures. It's mm-hmm. been rather well done. But again, you, you're pulling stuff out of where the book and character come from. And that goes back to the yeah. New 52, which is the reason I want to read the New 52. Okay, well, Diana is the product of a one-night stand between Zeus and Hippolyta. no. That's not yeah. that's not how that works. And now this is Hippolyta decides she should not only she shouldn't just commit suicide, she should be murdered by someone who is a trusted member of the Amazons, so that that will unite the Amazons into being all tribes together. You couldn't talk to him about that? You couldn't just decide right. to take a sabbatical and name Nubia the Queen who might be able to do it herself? No. We'll concoct some stupid plot from a sitcom and <laughs> she'll have herself murdered by someone who can go on the run and then Hippolyta can beak show up as the magical Amazon and fix things. No. It's lame. And it's unbefitting the characters, the book, the series, the writers in terms of Vita Ayala and Becky Clunden that and Joelle Jones, who is doing Wonder Girl, to do this. And again, I don't know whose decision. Yeah. But it smacks of editorial. Because, yeah, it's surprising because that team, like the the fact that you have Vita and Becky and Joelle on these yes. Wonder Woman books, like you could be having a renaissance in that completely, in that right? Yeah. Um because yeah, so it is surprising every time you guys have talked about it because again, I've I have not been reading the Wonder Woman stuff since uh, back back when G Willow Wilson was saddled with that terrible article. <laughs> yes, she that? was. Yes, um, that's when I kind of stopped reading Wonder Woman. Uh, so I haven't been reading in a long, long time. But every time you talk about it, you like talk about the books and the storylines, and I'm like, wow, these storylines sound very bizarre. And then you mentioned the creative teams, and I'm like, 
what? Wow. Like, I don't yeah. understand because like, those are some of my favorite writers and favorite artists. And the fact that, that these are the, this is where that kind of whole corner is going is it's, it's, it is, it is weird. And I, I do want to kind of like, I'll probably check out some issues here and there just to kind of like see if I'm part of the same response. But yeah, it's it, that, that kind of like that, 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 that contradiction between the, 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 the talent of the creatives and then the stories that are coming out of that office, I think are very interesting. Yeah. It is the thing, but G Willow Wilson had a great story arc that w- a very emotional book with artists who couldn't deliver any emotional beats to, to the, to the level of the story. They were fine for a regular comic book, not for the story she was trying to tell. If that were Nicholas Scott, Liam Sharp, let's go down the list of recent artists they could have chosen, and they didn't get any of those people. Here now, it's a story that I think it just seems so calculated. Let's do this thing so we can do this thing so we can do this thing without understanding how it all connects to those of us who have cared for decades. And maybe I'm not the target audience anymore. I mean, that I, I'm not the target audience for a lot of things in this day and age. So <laughs> I, I, I kind of get that. But as someone who really cares about how this character matters in a, in a broader sense than what's in a comic book. I'm, I'm upset. I'll just leave it at that. I'm upset. Bob's cranky old uncle Bob is upset. (laughs) All right. Well, hopefully there are brighter futures and better plots for wonder woman going forward. Let's hope. Let's hope. Uh, let's also do another lightning round. <laughs> Joey, it's your turn. Okay, so here we go. What do we got? What do we got? What do we got? All right, so the big comic that I read this week, I'll start with the big one, was Superman Space Age number one. Um, this was Mark Russell and the All Reds Ooh. doing Superman in the 60s. Um, it was $10. Um which is the only reason I bought it is because I didn't have anything else on my pull list last week. So I was like, what am I going to spend money on? And I came between this and the Zatanna graphic novel. And I went with this one because I, I love Superman a lot. And um, the all reds obviously are a big draw for me. Um, it's 80 pages long and it, it, it took a while to read. It's a very dense book. So basically it's like, it's the short version is it's a Superman uh, Superman coming out of his Clark Kent, Kansas days. Like it's that origin story again. You know, it's not, it's not like the Jor-El sending the baby in the rocket origin story again. No. It's not retelling that. Mon-Pa but it's, it's Clark. Pushing him off, yeah. Yes. Clark going off to Metropolis whole thing and, and all of that again and, and finding the fortress and, you know, like pulling from a lot of different areas. Um, the book opens in 1985 as Clark and John and Lois are basically watching the world be destroyed by Crisis on Infinite Earths. That's where the book opens. 
And Superman basically says, you know, like sometimes you don't win. Sometimes the world ends. That's just the story ends, whatever. And I was like, this is, this is a very interesting way to start this book. And then it flashes back to 1963 or whatever. Um, and in 1963, JFK is assassinated. And Clark sees that on the TV and he's like, I could have done something. And, and Russell and Allred kind of use that as the impetus for Clark to kind of jump the gun a little bit and try to be a superhero. And, you know, basically we kind of waffle back and forth as he, you know, finds his footing as what he will ultimately become, which is Superman. Um, So we get some interaction with him and Lois. Um, We get him kind of like failing at saving the day a couple of times. Excuse me. Um, We get some really fun daily planet stuff too. Bruce Wayne and Lex Luthor also are featured in the kind of main plot of the story as they compete for a Department of Defense contract. Uh, Lex obviously wins it and some nuclear bombs go off uh, and Superman like, you know, has to like, you know, save the day. Um, I, look, I, so first of all, here's what I'll say. The All Reds are the All Reds. And if you know what the All Reds artwork looks like, then you know what this book looks like. And if you're into it, it's the greatest thing you'll ever look at. <laughs> like it is... It is absolutely stunning to look at. For Mark Russell's writing and the script, um, I think I went in expecting something a little bit, you know, Mark Russell did some of our favorite books, mm-hmm. uh, some of our favorite funniest books and kind of deconstructive books that, that, that we've loved over here on the show. And uh, this book doesn't really do that. It's very sincere. It doesn't necessarily have that, it doesn't necessarily have that sense of humor in the same way that some of those other books did. And what I noticed is that without that sense of humor, the book's pacing is very slow. And it took me a while to get through some of the scenes. It felt a little too forthright. And, and it just took me a while to read, not necessarily a bad thing, but I think that the actual, like the book is starting to look at, there's nothing necessarily off about the characters in any particular way, but I just, because because it didn't necessarily have any of that kind of Mark Russell charm that I'm used to, um, the book kind of just felt like a retread of stories that I'd read before in a lot of ways. And at the price point, even though it was a very long, long book and a ton of pages and a ton of beautiful pages to look at, I don't know if it's a book that I would recommend. It's one of three. It'll be a three-issue series. So I don't know what the plan is, if it's going to be the same price point moving forward. But I, I don't know. I might, I might wait for the rest. Um, it's not really, it's not necessarily doing anything new, um, which is surprising for me given the talent behind it. Um, it looks great, looks really wonderful. Some really beautiful panels. So that's Superman Space Age. Um, I also two quick hits here. I read I Hate This Place number three, Kyle Starks and Archie M. Tuplin with Lee Luffridge, and I read Public Domain number two from Chip Zdarsky. Both of these were from Image. Both of these books are incredible. If you haven't been reading I Hate This Place. Like you have to, like the book is so funny and charming and, and it's such a wonderful take on horror and sci-fi, uh, you know, at issue three in particular, Gabby and Trudy hire this famous ghost hunter, Dante Howitzer to like (laughs) help them like figure out what's going on on their ranch. And like, it goes places. I, I was laughing out loud reading this book. I think it's so fun. Um, and public domain number two, if y'all remember, I talked about this last month too. This is the 
the fam, the Dallas family and the elder Dallas was like one of the, you know, golden age comic book writers and create comic book artists and co-created the, the domain who was like the biggest superhero in movies and advertise and all this stuff right now. So like any, he, and he's like a comic book co-creator. So he gets $0, right. Or like $500 in an invitation to the premiere kind of thing. <laughs> So the book is all about him finding out that like he actually gets the licensing rights to this character and should be getting a lot more money. Um, so his son, Miles, is like, you need to fight for this. And and this book in particular, Chip Zdarsky nails the kind of family relationships in public domain number two, the, the, um, the elder Dallas's wife and her kind of comments on like, you know, you sacrifice so much for that character. Aren't you owed something? And then like the complicated relationship between the two sons and miles in particular does some really like terrible, like rash things in this issue to just trying to support his dad. But you find out it's coming from another kind of selfish place. Like the interpersonal drama here is so good. And it's wonderful seeing Zdarsky draw again, like his artwork is very distinctive and I really enjoy it um, as well. Um, on another note, uh, so in addition to those books that I read, I've been watching a bunch of things. Uh, first of all, I saw Nope. Ooh, I want movie. a review. I, I need a review. So Nope was awesome. I saw it on Saturday in IMAX. It is incredible, wonderful take on those kind of sci-fi, alien, UFO movies. Uh, Daniel Kaloya, Kiki Palmer, Stephen Yun are fantastic in it. Uh, Jordan Peele, written, produced, directed, wonderful job. It's a beautiful film, too. If you can see it in IMAX, go for it. It is gorgeous. There's a couple of shots in there in particular that are just, like, stunning. Really, really wonderful uh, film. I've also watched Paper Girls, the whole first season on Amazon. I was surprised that they dropped the whole first season. It was great. I'm sure we'll talk about it in in the coming weeks when more people watch it. Um, Here's what I'll say about Paper Girls. I think it's great. I think it's a really great show. The four girls in particular are awesome. Like they are so, 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 so good in this show. Uh, The girl who plays Mac, they just wrote Mac. And I know in the comics, she's also written this way, (laughs) but she is such an asshole. Yeah, but that's who she is, right? I know. I get that. But like everything out of her mouth is just like the, the, like the crudest, most like dickish thing. And I'm like, dude, like, like I am uh, maybe there's something different about like literally hearing it and seeing it on a TV in real time that just like makes me just like I'm so over you. Like anytime she opens okay. her mouth, I'm like, what what rude thing are you going to say? But her story, no. her storyline, <laughs> I think her storyline no, pulls it together. To, yes, to yes, really you're absolutely yeah. right. And like having read the book, like I know where that storyline yeah. is going. Like I totally understand it and I get it. And in the book, she was characterized that way too. But I'm just imagining like, if I were to sit down and watch it with Emily, like Emily would be like, why is she such a dick? I, read the book. Here's like, 30 issues of yes. Supergirl. Please read the and, book. Yeah. And, yeah. And I could be like, no, just wait, just wait. She finds out some shit. Like you, like you just wait. Yeah. But like every, like every line is just like the meanest thing. And I'm like, your, your friends are just trying to be good friends. Like just listen. But anyway, she's great. Like the whole cast is wonderful. Um, I still go back to something that I said when we saw the trailer, which the the commercial, the trailer, the trailer for it, which is I, the the show. I think nails the girls. Like the girls mm-hmm. are great. The characterization of the girls are great. Their their like conflict and drama as they go through all this time travel shenanigans is great. 
I think the show lacks some of the the visual flair and style of the book. Obviously, you can't necessarily recapture some of the comic book, but also some of the kind of weirder fantasy elements of the Paper Girls book, you know? Like some of the things like the way the future people speak isn't in the show necessarily yeah. to like that degree. And some of the more visual elements of like the, the quote unquote future, like isn't necessarily there. Or the they, de- they, like, or the past that's not there either. We, yeah, we're, we're like they, sure they, yeah. Yeah. They tease it here and there with like some like allusions to it, but it, 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 it doesn't necessarily have it. And I think the series, like the first season, I don't want to say suffers because of it, but as someone who read the books, I think in terms of an adaptation, it does suffer a little bit. Right. In and of itself. Yeah. In and of itself, I think it's great. Yeah. And I'll, I'm definitely eager for a second season. Is there? Sure. I'm sure hope there is because that's the one of the things that bugs me is, okay, if this is where we end, I'm not happy. Oh, yeah. No, no. We're, we're, I think yes. I think yes. But anyway, the last thing I'll say before I let people jump in on it is I have also, because of the, the Comic-Con announcements and knowing that it's coming, I wanted to jump on the X-Men animated series. <gasps> and I watched all of season one. It's all on Disney Plus now. Um, in 1992, y'all, they really did it all. They were like, <laughs> all right, they got Apocalypse, Magneto, Juggernaut. They like they're like this one episode where they're like we've discovered a cure for mutation, Moira and Muir Island, Master Mold and Trask and Cameron Hodge. Cable shows up like literally for no reason at all. There's Genosha. There's like it's like a Claremont party for thirteen episodes, yeah. and just like Claremont, like they'll seed something in an episode and then it'll never be brought up again, like ever until like maybe at the end of one season, at the end of the season. So. Um, I, I, the, the show in night for 1992, it goes places. It is a very mature, like ongoing storyline over the course of 13 episodes. Like that is something that like was, I think groundbreaking in the time. And I think still holds up. The voice acting is like, some of it's a little bit like Magneto has the most weird accent I've ever heard. I don't know what it is supposed to be. Um, some of the storyline tweaks they make, like the background, background characters are a little weird. Uh, but also like there's one episode where they're on Genosha and like, there's a bunch of like Sunfire's there, Warpath's there, like all these people at Thunderbirds there, all these people are there and they're never brought up again. They're just like, <laughs> like, just like cameos of like these major characters. Um, and also I'm realizing after 13 episodes, like Wolverine never stabs anyone. No, like, it's he's just like 92, three o'clock in the afternoon, Joey. It was a yeah. Show, so yeah. he can't stab anyone, but like it's very clear that he doesn't stab anyone. Like the claws yeah, are just, always out, and no one ever gets stabbed. But anyway, that was, that's that what was the point I was making before. <sighs> was that? Yeah, that was the thing I was talking about before when they they literally there's I can't remember her name, but there was a particular woman who created that crusade. But they literally wouldn't allow certain levels of violence to be on television in the '90s and kids' cartoons, and that's why you had things like, you know, when you had GI Joe, no one would ever get hit, even though they were firing like 300 rounds, a, you know, a second. Uh, yeah, it's it's it was all a it was a thing that basically was instituted by this woman who decided to create this organization. Well, there you go. Yeah, there you have it. Bob, you want to jump on the Paper Girls train at all? Well, just to say, I watched all eight across the weekend and enjoyed the heck out of it. It was different than the book. There are changes, but it is the spirit of those four girls and older Erin. I mean, spoilers. 
that really, really work. And I'm willing to flow along with the idea that, well, television is different than comics. That said, right. there are things that I want to see moving forward, and I hope we're moving forward because we end we end on a, a Paper Girls cliffhanger. Yep. No mm. question of that. And where that went, I wasn't completely thrilled with. We are just to the point where things are cooking. And comics are different. Comics will always continue because it's creator-owned. You can do what you want over there at Image. Amazon Prime, maybe not so much. There are things that get canceled when they're not supposed to. That is true. That is true. Unfortunately, you know, a lot of that stuff rests in the hands of word of mouth and social media. And I was actually, I searched uh, Paper Girls on Twitter while you guys were talking about it. And there's definitely some conversation, but unfortunately, you know, less stuff trends during the premiere weekend and people are chatting it up. Once the, the brass have to like really go into the trenches to take the temperature of how the show's being received. Um, yeah. It's tough to know whether those things are going to come back or not. It's hard because like everything I've read in terms of reviews of the show have been very positive, but I haven't seen like buzz about it online. Exactly. No. Um, which is a bummer, but also like, dude, like why did they release the whole season? Like I thought we kind of moved away from that for this exact reason, trying to drum up conversation after releasing two or three episodes and then going yeah. week to week like it's just very surprising to me that they dropped the full season especially since that model's kind of fallen away in recent years or recent months yeah. you know so i don't know I, I i do hope that it does get picked up because like bob said like after i watched the whole season i went on to the i, I pulled out my trades and i looked at like the last issue of every volume except <laughs> the last one, obviously and they all end kind of this way <laughs> like where it's like oh no so like i i i am very interested to see i also was very excited that like uh, not excited but like i've been reading a lot of chris cantwell's work at a marvel like his iron man run and things like that so to see him as one of the main producers and writers on the show was very cool to see yeah i um i'll save my thoughts for for next time but i like the one thing, the, my, my biggest takeaway from it when we started watching it a couple of weeks ago was I felt like it lacked confidence yeah. in certain areas. And I, I really was asking myself, like, what is the best launch strategy for this? And I part of me was thinking it's a good thing that they're releasing this all at once because I don't know that the individual episodes had the pull to get people back every week because there were aspects of the effects or uh, the environment in general that came off to me as a little cheap. Mm. Um, but for me, the pull was the chemistry between the actresses. Yeah, they're so good. They're great. They are They are straight up amazing. And yes, Mac is... I, what did I say in the chat? She went to like uh, John, John Connor. Connor University <laughs> or whatever. John Connor Middle School. Like it's like okay, Mac. We want you. I don't. I don't know the the actor's name, but like we want you to watch Terminator Two a hundred times. Yes, and then show up to the set and just do your best John she, Connor impression. Yeah, she does the Edward Furlong yeah. bit where she's just like such yeah. a dick with the like swoop hair, and I'm like, I yeah, get big it. time. I get it. 
Big time. Um, I mean, and like I said, I there there are there are aspects of the show that didn't sit all the way well with me, but the the chemistry between the characters and there are like very specific. It's a good show for moments. There are really really strong moments and character chemistry and and times when you're just spending time with the girls. It's all the other stuff yeah. that felt like they just. Not that they didn't know what to do with it, but if they were looking for some kind of a Stranger Things competitor, they needed to put a little bit more money and a little bit more oomph behind the other elements of the show. Because they have something really great in those girls. And some of the support cast as well. well. KJ in the movie theater with... Oh yeah, yeah. Future self. I just thought that like some, some of the costuming was a little weird. Like when they first meet the aliens... Um, the stuff on their faces looks like if you just flicked it, it would come right off. Like there were just, <clears throat> there were things out of that. I was like, oh man, like they're like, it's the thing, but they're not doing they're the not, thing. Like, I could, I could have gone to spirit Halloween and wow. <laughs> done a better job. Yeah. It's like, um, it, that's the thing. Like it's the thing. It's the thing we love, but it's not like, it's not the thing. Like, it's like, there's like, there's like, a li- like a little bit more or like something just a little bit funkier. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going through it again now that I don't have to watch it through a browser. So like I said, I'll have more thoughts on it. Um, really glad that, that they made it really glad to like have it out there. I hope people are enjoying it. I hope people talk about it or recommend it. Um, I think it's going to appeal to a very specific audience and sometimes that audience has their shows renewed and sometimes they don't. Uh, it depends on how loud they are about it. So we will see what happens. Um, I don't know if anybody else has anything that they want to jump in on for Joey's uh, lightning run. I unfortunately did not read any of this stuff. Very ha- oh, you missed I Hate This Place number three? Dude, you got to read it. Yeah, no, my uh, like I said, my my reading time got uh, shot to shit the for other sure, day. For sure. Very happy to hear that um, it was as good as I hoped it would be. I'm yeah, looking. Oh, I want to see that so bad. See, oh God, see that's that's a problem that I'm having right now because Bronwyn still hasn't seen Thor: Love and Thunder. So the next time that we go to the movies, what do we do? Double do feature. we go and see Thor or do we see no? Double feature. Double you feature. sneak. You sneak into one after you buy tickets for the other. That's what you do. Oh, I can't sneak in anymore. What? Because if I get if I get caught, it's my little caught, theater. No one cares. Oh, Buy extra I care. popcorn. I won't be able to sleep. Stop. It'll eat me alive. All right. <laughs> anyway, I'll figure it out. Anyway, I don't know that we're getting to the movies anytime soon. Uh All right, my turn. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, for reasons I have. One book on my list this week, but it's a big one. So I'm going to, I'm going to, it's 365 pages Oof. of comic books. So, oh yeah. Uh, but I'm going to jump right into it. So last week we were talking about the Eisner Award winners. And one of the books that kept on coming up was Monsters by Barry Windsor Smith, published by Fantagraphics. Uh, we, I discovered in my glove compartment a gift certificate to heroes that I forgot that we had. Yeah. So I went in and I got, not only did I get the oversized hardcover version of murder Falcon, 
but I also picked up uh, monsters that was sitting in the back. And I picked this thing up. This is a hefty beast. Um, so here we go. Here's a synopsis. The year is 1964, and Bobby Bailey doesn't realize he's about to fulfill his tragic destiny when he walks into a U.S. Army recruitment office. Oops. Secretive, damaged, innocent, trying to forget a past and looking for a future, Bobby is the perfect candidate for a secret U.S. governmental program, an unholy continuation of a genetics program that was discovered in Nazi Germany nearly 20 years earlier in the waning days of World War II. A 360-page epic, Monsters, is a Frankenstein story told in the shadow of Hitler's rule, mixed with family drama that ripples out to some of the darkest experiments in history. It's a political odyssey across two generations of American history that's dripping with gore, choked with ungodly odors, and filled with some of the most despicable and tragic characters I've ever come across. The book itself is also significant. It's like an encyclopedia or hardbound volume you're not allowed to check out of the library's reference section. It's huge. The paddles contain meticulous line work that helps create horrific suburbia that feels alive and poisoned by secrets, shattered relationships, and once good men haunted by PTSD. The arts, uh, the art slows the story down in a way that begs you to study each panel. There's a tremendous amount of detail in the characters and environments. The whole time I read it, I felt like I was experiencing an old creature feature inspired by Frankenstein and Captain America's origin story. If you plan on picking it up, uh, settle in because every page is packed with world building stories and unspeakable acts perpetrated by the worst monsters of all. Us. <laughs> uh, monsters was good, y'all. It is a uh, it is an undertaking though, and uh, like a lot of stuff that I read, will leave you feeling like you need a shower after you're done with it. Um. If you like high character drama and like wartime stories and kind of the men are the real monsters themes, you have definitely got to read this book. It is a powerful one for sure. And um, I can definitely see why it was nominated and not only nominated, but won a bunch of Eisner Awards because it just, when you hold it, when you open it, when you look at it, when you turn those pages, it feels like an undertake. It feels like something that took however many years to put together. I would not be surprised if this was like a 10 year endeavor. Uh, it just, the idea that one person put this all together, meaning art and story is nothing short of incredible. Uh, it's really engrossing, really kind of tragic and sad and gross, but it is compelling as hell. And, uh, I read it. I read it between yesterday and today. I just finished it before we were done, uh, before we got on here to record the show. And uh, I was not disappointed. It will look amazing on my shelf, and then I will let people borrow it one day. That is the plan. Uh, any comments or questions? Yeah, well, Barry Windsor Smith, back from his Conan days and Avengers and everything else, is one of the most detail-oriented artists of all time. Ah, so many things are always going on. Little tiny tchotchkes in the background of of castles or, or cabins or whatever. So to think that he and he, he always do great creatures. So this is 
seems like something right up his alley. And the idea of something like this being a passion project, some years back, you remember my favorite thing is Monsters, Emil Ferris? Oh, yeah. Same sort of idea. The Fantagraphics, too, I believe. Giant phone book of goodness that could take yeah. forever to get through. Sounds like a plan. It's it's really kind of fascinating because it kind of takes the the Frankenstein's monster idea and applies it to this this character, Bobby Bailey, who is thrown into this Prometheus program. And the origin of the Prometheus program is really horrific. And the book kind of bounces around um, across two generations and, and different points in time. And you kind of – it's a, one of those books that very blatantly says at one point toward the end of the book – this is the part of the story where all of the pieces start to come together and you see how we all ended up where we are. And they kind of show you all the dominoes falling over and how this all came to be. And it's really fascinating. And there's a big part of the story, like kind of the middle, if you want act two of the book where you get into Bobby's upbringing and the struggles between his mother and his father after he comes back from being an interpreter for the U.S. and going over to uh, Nazi Germany and seeing these experiments that they were doing and, and uncovering all this stuff and finding one of the people responsible and bringing those experiments back to the U.S. and completely just twisting it into this nightmarish uh, experiment and taking this poor young man who was a, a, a devastated child and then have them be turned into this monstrosity that breaks out of this spoilers breaks out of this uh, facility and how that character behaves and what they do and kind of the surrealist journey that they go through once they reach their destination. Um, just the execution of story was really fascinating and how everything was delivered. Um, I was completely taken by it. I read it from cover to cover between yesterday and, and this afternoon. And yeah, it was, I can see, I can see why it was a big deal for a lot of the judges and a lot of the people. It is one of those books you open up and you just go, damn, like this is a, this is a comic book <laughs> anyway. Uh, that's all I got. Um, the other thing I did was over the weekend, we uh, watched everything everywhere all oh, at once. Hell yes. Yes. Finally, finally, finally sat down and watched this absolutely weird and <laughs> wonderful movie. Uh, we've talked about it a lot on the show already. Just suffice to say that I, I loved it. Bronwyn has gone so far as to say that it cracked her top three favorite movies of all time spot. Whoa. Hell yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was actually, I was genuinely surprised when those words came out of her mouth. I was like, really? And she's like, yeah. And I said, okay, then that's amazing. Uh, I loved it visually. It had a lot more heart than I was expecting. I don't know what I was expecting from it. I kind of didn't do any research on it. I was just like, all right, you know, Michelle Yeoh is going to travel through the multiverse, I guess. And the dude from Goonies is going to be in it and it'll be fun. And then I just got that and so, so, so much more. 
Jamie Lee Curtis in this movie yeah. was just an absolute riot. Loved her so much. And yeah, like, I don't know why my, my, my brain sucks. And I'm like, I'm sitting there and I'm like, all right, who did this movie? And I go and I look, and of course it's the Daniels. And the first thing I see on IMDb is Swiss army man. And I was like, Oh, everything makes so much more sense now. No wonder this movie is so weird, but also spectacular and heartwarming and just visually splendiferous. It's, oh man, it's a trip. If you haven't seen it, you have to. It's one undoubtedly one of the best movies of the year, uh, if not the coolest thing that I've seen all year. It's 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 amazing. So, uh, get it now. It's on all platforms. Go watch it. It's a good yeah. time. That and Top Gun Maverick, best year movies of the year. I was talking about that this afternoon. I am going to watch that movie when it comes out on Blu-ray. I, I did not see it in the theaters, which I know is the way to see it. Top Gun? But yeah. Top Gun slaps, bro. <laughs> I, know, I know. You've said. everybody, Every single person that I've spoken to about that movie has come back raving about it. Yeah. I saw that seven-minute preview ahead of Doctor Strange and was bored out of my skull, but I would like to see the whole thing in its entirety to see what all the hubbub is about because not one single person came back from seeing that movie not talking like it was God's gift to cinema. I just... (laughs) Uh, Put on your VR headset and watch it. I'm sure it'll be incredible. I can. uh... I actually... I can do that. (laughs) You might actually throw up everywhere. But... um... No, everything everywhere all at once is amazing, and I I've been like, I've been like waiting for it to stream somewhere to watch it again. But I think you know, hearing you talk about it, I might just buy it. I can't. I don't, I it's just, it's very affordable. It'll be out it's soon. very affordable on Blu-ray. But all, but also, I think I just want it. Like I want to have it. I bought it for. I don't want to be at fifteen dollars. I don't want to be at the. Uh, I don't want to be at the vicissitudes of streaming services yeah. to be able to watch it whenever I want. You don't want to be at the mercy of Atomic Blonde. Yes, exactly. Like I like we were talking off air. I haven't been able to watch Atomic Blonde for years because it's just never streaming anywhere. So like, I might just get it. <laughs> just buy it, man. You know what? I might have. Let me. Let me check. I might have a digital code for you in my in my my stuff downstairs. Let me let me take a look. I might have it. Uh, this is the part where you say thanks. That I, I'd appreciate that. Well, I was going to say, didn't Aaron also say he was going to give me his digital code? No, that was me. That Did was he? Me. Oh, Bob said that. that was Bob. Yeah. Yeah. No, oh, I must. Well, have then I'll have part. two digital codes. You Thank you. You can watch it in three D. One of them. Three D. One of them must work. <laughs> Okay, let's uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, monsters, go read it. Let's um, let's do some news. We got a couple of couple of quick stories here. Um, in a in an attempt to salvage the Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. DC has invited and confirmed that Ben Affleck will return as Batman in Aquaman 2. Hell yes. Yeah. So Jason Momoa posted a photo of him and Mr. Affleck getting all chummy, uh, doing a, doing some line reads and stuff like that. And yeah, so so Batman is confirmed for Aquaman 2 because... 
you you a lot of people want it and they got to do something to uh put a band-aid on this movie so you got Ned Batfleck I love Batfleck big Ben Affleck fan always have been yeah. I love it. No, we can't, right. can't hurt any, but I don't know if he's going to help the Flash movie, but that's something else altogether. No, I mean, he was already confirmed for that, right? Yeah, but they have to double down. Uh, isn't Christian Bale in that one, too? No way. No, I, no, I, I don't think so. What's so. No, the, he said the only way that he would come back to do Batman was if uh, Christopher Nolan was involved. Uh, I don't think you're going to get Christian Bale's Batman in The Flash. Although, they might be trying to get that together okay. uh, to erase some of the stink from that movie, too. I think this is what they're going to do. They're going to go back and do these like not inconvenient additions and maybe a couple little quiet reshoots and kind of pack the the movies with enough easter eggs to make people look the other way of some of the things that they cannot avoid without costing themselves just however many millions of dollars um i guess i was a little weirded out by the reaction to the whole ben affleck is an aquaman 2 thing like after announcing him being in The Flash, him being in Aquaman 2 just struck me as a kind of like, all right, like, whatever. But people really love that Batfleck, and, and I'm I'm happy for those that are that are stoked for this. I like Jason Momoa, so I wanted to see Aquaman 2 anyway. Uh, does anybody else have anything that, that they want to jump in about the uh, the bat being in The Fish? I don't really. I'm not really moved one way or the other, to be honest with you. I feel like this mm-hmm. movie's never coming out, so I'm trying not to get excited about it. It's coming out next year, isn't it? Uh, no, it it's coming like out. It's supposed year. to come out. Is it this year? No way. This year. No way this, this year. year. March, March, March of next year. Okay. Um, Flash is supposedly in November. No. We'll see. This November? No way. We'll see. You're talking about like three months from now. I'm telling you, that's look. Hold on, hold on. I thought they pushed it to at least June. No, no, no. Hold on. Let's let's look it up. Yeah, I thought it was June 2023 because that was like my birthday time. Uh, Oh man, they move. Wow. Okay, June 23rd, 2023. It's my birthday birthday gift. Is this Flashpoint movie (laughs) (laughs) with Michael Keaton? It's a perfect circle. It's perfect circle. Flash. Batman 89 came out literally on the day I was born. So now here we are with Michael Keaton again as Batman on my birthday. Okay. I thought I was I was under the impression that this was supposed to come out in November. Mm-mm. So I thought this was a competitor for Black uh, Panther 2. No way. Okay. So now they're, them not being at San Diego Comic-Con – and not really saying anything is colored a little differently in my mind. They have time. They have time to salvage this stuff. Well, that's why they pushed it. I'm yeah, sure. I think it was due in November. It just isn't anymore. Shit, this movie's in so much trouble. They still haven't found Ezra <sighs> Miller, correct? No, they haven't. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. Like, See, like they're like DB this stuff is. It's just they've gone missing. <laughs> this stuff is all over the place until until they find something else to distract everyone with. Okay. 
And yeah, he was on the plane. He was on the plane. <laughs> well, DB Cooper was. Ezra Miller might not have been. No. All right, let's move on. Uh, the Flash, the CW's The Flash, is ending with season nine. The final on? episode count. What's that? That's still on. Yes. Yeah, dude. Oh. Uh, it will come out um, mid-season 2023 and consist of 13 episodes. Now, part of the thing was was that when Grant Gustin agreed to come back for another season, he was only going to come on for 15 episodes. So rather than continue the series without him, they are ending it with only 13 episodes because I guess that's all they feel that they need to tell the final arc of their story. Uh, and this show has been going on for a very long time and he's, you know, been playing the character for a long time, very beloved uh, version of Barry Allen across what's left of the CW verse. And yeah, they're sunsetting a lot of their shows and the flash is just another one to uh, go the way of the Dodo. Yeah. I mean, nine so. seasons is pretty respectable though. Yeah. Oh, it's absolutely respectable for sure. It's a good run. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's so that's that's happening. Um, if you're into the Flash, get it while the getting's good. <laughs> and um, that'll be that. I always love when they're like, I'm only coming back for 15 episodes. I have all these other things I want to do. And the next thing you know, you see them like guest spotting on like $100,000 pyramid or something. Like two <laughs> Jesus <years from> Christ. <laughs> Wow, Aaron, call him out. <laughs> dancing with yeah, I don't know what uh, what Grant Gustin's got lined up. He's going to be this. in the Flash movie. <laughs> Digitally inserted. I would not be surprised. All right. Um, so, uh, Kevin Feige has explained why, uh, why Fantastic Four. The, the point of the story is that Fantastic Four, the new. Marvel Studios' Fantastic Four movie is not going to be an origin story. Cool. They are going to hit the ground running. We're not going to do all the stuff. I would imagine that Fantastic Four is maybe something that they're going to build over the course of whatever's coming out within the next little while that maybe we'll get a couple of character cameos or maybe they'll be involved in some way. They'll show up in a few things that will kind of lay the groundwork for who they are. No, so that by the time we, <laughs> I got it. I figured it out. I figured it out. As you were speaking, I figured it out. They're right, going to do, I think you're right. I think they're going to like introduce the actors in some things, you know, like they might show up, but the fantastic four movie itself is going to just be like the Fantastic Four on this adventure investigating these incursion things. And then you're going to find out that they are actually in another universe in the multiverse and that their Fantastic Four adventure is happening in a, in a kind of other part of the multiverse. And it's going to end with the realization on the other side of that incursion is the MCU we know and love. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, I'll call it right like now. That. We might get the actors, like you're saying, kind of like showing up in other things as themselves. So like, yeah, let's say like Ben Grimm does show up in She-Hulk mm-hmm. or whatever. It'll just be like human Ben Grimm. And like we won't like you don't like we know he's a thing, but like no one in the show knows he's the thing. And then right. like down the line, like in that in the Fantastic Four movie, he'll be the thing. 
and we'll be like, what happened? It doesn't fucking matter because we're in a we're in an other universe that then they realize is an incursion universe, and it's gonna, that's what's gonna happen. Nailed it! Boom! Check. We still haven't seen the Tom Holland Spider Man origin. It didn't seem to matter to anybody. No. What if we get a scene of Riri talking with Valeria on like video chat as she's augmenting her iron heart well, suit. I think it would be so cool if the fantastic four movie was them already as a family. Yep. Great. Yeah. I'm not, I'm I honestly, I think that's the, origin. what's that Aaron? I was going to say, I legitimately would, would second guess seeing it. If it was an origin, I'm so tired of origin stories. And I don't really oh yeah, for one. sure. I would. I, there's what I think we've seen in other films that there are ways of doing these, doing first stories, while peppering it. If you write smartly, you can pepper in the past and then, you know, flashback oh. it or, or think back to it and give just enough to jog the memory of the people who may know but are not 100 percent sure, and then inform the people who don't. But to, I. This is going to talk about going full circle. If you make me sit through an hour and 20 minutes of them going out, arguing and going out in space and doing all these things and then coming back and learning their powers, then you give me 20 minutes of actual Fantastic Four, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> look at Captain, Aaron's walking out. Look at Captain Marvel, which a character out. not a lot of people know, and they told the origin in the, the end of the second act. But gave you yeah, the, the hints exactly. as, you, as you moved forward into it by inverting the story, it brought a lot more people into it. So I think you could do that. Absolutely. I just go back to my idea because the whole <laughs> Secret Wars thing, right, was that they were merging the Ultimate Universe with the Marvel Universe, right? That was like the whole thing, and that's how they merged the characters. So obviously they don't have that necessarily in the mcu as it currently stands but if you do it with like the fantastic four movie like you tell this whole awesome story and then at like the very end like halfway through they're like where are the avengers where are all these people and they're just like there are no avengers here it's just been the fantastic four the whole time and then they look up in the sky and the big hole in the sky and you just see you know whatever on the mcu's right there i think i think people would pop so hard for that you see when you see the tony stark cruise missile coming through the hole in space <laughs> Yeah, yeah, back yeah. to the people first would, Avengers movie. People would lose their shit. I don't know how they would advertise it, but like they would lose their minds if like then like the Avengers Kang Dynasty thing is just like the like Reed Richards is on the one side, like scrambling to stop the incursion from eating their universe. And then like and then like on this side, it's like Riri and like Bruce Banner and all these people just being like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And then like, bah, it'd be crazy. It would be crazy. It would be crazy. It would be crazy. It would be crazy. It's going to be some scene where in the background, you're going to see Dr. Strange and, and America's office flying through the air. Yeah. And that's going to be the signal. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be the signal. Or, or the or Shang-Chi's beacon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just, I think that like, especially because like, yeah, it's not going to be an origin story. Okay, great. But like, the, the you beg the question of like, where have they been? You know, like, like it would be weird to me if the Fantastic Four, like Reed Richards and Sue, Sue Storm and all these people just like rolled up in 2023. You know, there's like, hey, what's up, guys? Like, here we are. Like, either like origin story or not, you know? 
But like the multiverse allows them to kind of say like, no, they've actually had all of these adventures and, and like have been a, an established team for such a long time. And that was such a refreshing thing for when John Krasinski's Reed Richards showed up in Doctor Strange when he was like, yeah, I have a wife and I have kids. Like, yeah, people were like, yeah, they've been around. You know, it's the same thing with, with the Spider-Man stuff. Indeed. Next story. Miles Morales, Spider-Man writer Saladin Ahmed announces series departure. 42 issues. 42nd issue is coming out on September 28th. It will be a natural end to the Miles Morales finale storyline, but this is not a cancellation. This article that I'm looking at does not announce the new creative team. But I would like to know, Aaron, you are still reading Miles Morales, correct? That is correct. How do you feel about this news? Um, you know what? I I'm okay with it. It's it's probably time to to shake things up. I I have been reading the stories and enjoying the stories, but I haven't been like, oh my god, this is you know Ahmed is the greatest thing. But you know, there's been some some definite definite growth that I've loved about the book and I will forever appreciate him for, for introducing it. I love the fact that he has separated miles in a way that makes sense, you know, from the other spider creatures, whatever you want to call them, the spider crew. Um, I appreciate that he has linked him to his community and, and what it represents you know, to them and the fact that, you know, in multiple issues, they call him our Spider-Man and call that stuff. I appreciate that he asked those questions, but you know, as long as someone comes in and they don't undo or unravel that or try to, you know, integrate him into, you know, being a sidekick, you know, or something like that again, I'm fine with it. Let's move on to someone else. I do think they took a great, it, it was a great direction for them to go you know, by linking him to his community and what that means to him and what that, how that reflects upon how he chooses to, to engage in the hero business and the neighborhoods that he chooses to engage in. You don't see him on the Upper West Side all day long, saving certain people all day. You know, he's all over Mm -hmm. the place. Um, So, you know, I, I, but it's, I, I appreciate the contributions, but yeah, I'm okay with there being a, a shaking up of things as long as they now let me respects the character let me ask you a question you have the outline right did you click on the article the mm-hmm. um cbr article okay yeah that image on the front is that his current costume yes i hate it really i hate it so much. really that's his costume right now yes yeah what is okay yeah. I, hate I hate it with a passion it's weird. We have raged against that costume. I hate it. I don't it's know like he, that I like he just picked it up in models or something like that. I hate it. It's like a half squirrel suit. It's like why a are the sleeves so big? Thing. It's a windbreaker type thing. That it's it's it just doesn't make any sense. I get it. it. His other costume got destroyed somewhere. I'm like, you can't convince me that you guys only have one costume sitting around somewhere. Um, yeah, it, I don't like it. I don't like it. What I loved about his other costume 
was the shapes that it created with the coloring that it had. Yeah. Um, it just made it look, he looked sleek. He looked, you know, and it also, you know, it was just a step more aesthetically pleasing. It just, it just, this seems something so, I don't know what the word is. I'm like, just so simple and easy. And just, it just doesn't, it's ill fitting half the time when he's like, fighting he's when he's when there's supposed to be these action scenes it's he's this odd shape it doesn't reflect it's just dumb i hated it i hated it <laughs> so i don't like it as one <laughs> the truth shall set you free let's move on um i would actually be interested in in reading some miles morales if they're gonna go with the new creative team and kind of reset the parameters a little bit um, it's been a while since I checked in with that character and you've always made me curious about jumping on, but I have never been able to justify the expense, uh, for myself. I'll have to see how much of it I have. I'm okay with um, them updating and I just don't want them to reverse anything. Well, right. except for that costume. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next story. Avengers. Speaking of Avengers, the Kang dynasty is going to be directed by Destin Daniel Cretton of Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings and uh, American-born Chinese and other projects. Holy crap, this is uh, this is a big deal. This is really cool. I think uh, John was in the chat saying that it was cool that Marvel's kind of doing what they did earlier by taking, you know... Uh, Kind of like what they did with the, the Russo brothers off of um, what was their first one again? Was that Winter Soldier? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, and kind of like giving that filmmaker a bigger platform and growing them out uh, and really helping to to boost their their name and career. And um, although, I mean, I would arguably, I would say that Destin is definitely already up there in the upper echelons by getting handed a lot of like top priority projects over the past year and a half. But anyway, you slice it directing an Avengers movie in this day and age is a very, very big deal for anyone. So I'm excited about this. I absolutely still love Shang-Chi. It's still one of my favorite movies of the, uh, the newest phase of the Marvel stuff. And I'm really excited for him, and I'm really excited to see what they do with it. I have no idea what this movie is going to be at this stage of the game, and I'm excited to see what he does with it. Um, anybody else jazzed about this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sounds great. I'm excited. I'd love, oh, yeah. love to see, or I, I certainly have ideas, considering his relationship with certainly Shang-Chi and how he's made, what, three movies with Brie Larson in the past, as to what the focus mm-hmm. of the Kang Dynasty will be as who's going to lead our new Avengers. I have I have thoughts, uh, which could be very interesting. Who do you think is going to lead Captain the new Marvel. Avengers? Ah, uh, Joey, what are you? What are your thoughts and predictions? Well, I already said it's going to be Fantastic Four in the alternate universe, and they're going to talk about this, and there's going to be incursion, and they're going to look up, and it's going to be MCU, and like, uh, I, I, I think that um. 
I think that Shang-Chi is going to be very busy over the next few years. I remember when they announced in the, when they announced the, the San Diego stuff, I put in the chat, I was like, when is Shang-Chi going to be coming up? And I didn't realize at the time that they had those open spots for Shang-Chi 2 to, to be there. But I think Bob's right. I think Shang-Chi and Captain Marvel are going to be pretty important moving forward. And obviously Sam, um, Sam Wilson, Anthony Mackie's Captain America, New World Orders right before then too. So, you know, I think that there's going to be a lot going on. I'll be interested actually, going back to our discussion from a couple of weeks ago, I'll be interested if there's any kind of Thor presence in these movies, like uh, like what that what that character's future is, just because after Thor 4, it feels so... I feel like there's they ride off in the sunset in that movie, and I don't necessarily need to see him, you know, taking a big, big arc in that film. Show up as a cameo, maybe old Thor like we had talked about, cool. But like a core kind of character arc, I don't want it. Um, I don't think I need it either, you know? Um, yeah, I think that, like, in terms of the movies and in terms of these Avengers films, I think we need to know more about Fantastic Four, obviously, before making any real predictions about the Avengers films proper. But I think that between Anthony Mackie, whoever becomes the Black Panther, can make predictions there, obviously. Uh, Captain, oh. Captain Marvel and Shang-Chi, I think that that's going to be the... That's going to be the core kind of moving forward. Um, there's a news story that I forgot to put in, but um, Aaron, do you uh, want to jump in on this story at all? No, I think this is going to be very fun. I do think it's going to have it's going to continue to lead into the the big bright colors and you know lots of high flying action and all that stuff that I think we're accustomed to. I do want to know where the um, connective tissue is going to start, you know, coming together, you know, between the movies and the characters that make it make sense for them to all end up together. So that's yeah. kind of what I'm keeping my eyeball out for. Very cool. All right. Uh, oh, so the, the other story that I didn't put in the outline that I'll mention, you mentioned who is going to be the next Black Panther Lego of all things. Well, I mean, like I also read the comics, so like I know what's well, happening. Yes. <laughs> but I'm saying, I'm saying for for, pe- for people that aren't aren't on the ground floor, uh, Lego might have screwed up by sending out some of their uh, upcoming set photos. Honestly, that happens literally all the time. Like Lego, like how does Lego blow that up every? Every like every movie, it's always Lego. <laughs> they want those clicks, man. They want those stories. But anyway, yeah, if you want to you want to go and look it up, look it up. I'm not going to spoil it for you here. But they might have or most definitely spoiled who picks up the Black Panther mantle in the next film. It uh, doesn't change a damn thing for me. I'm really excited about that movie. Oh, yeah. That that trailer is that trailer got me pumped. Um, I'm really excited for that. Uh, All right, we'll circle back around to this other story real quick. I just want to bring to the group's attention. uh, I mentioned this Sylvester Stallone movie that's coming out in a little bit. I think it's going to Amazon. It's called Samaritan. It's starring uh, Sylvester Stallone. And I don't remember his name, but the kid from uh, Umbrella Academy season three, he plays Stan. This is a retired or in hiding superhero who basically gets discovered by one of his neighbors and is called back into action 
at a much older age and him basically going toe to toe with new villains for the safety of his city. And the trailer came out and I'm not going to lie. I'm going to watch it. It looks good. It looks, I like, I like Stallone. I grew up with him. I, I, you know, like soft spot and whatnot. I know nobody's perfect, but I'll watch a Stallone superhero movie. I'll watch that other one too, that Owen Wilson superhero secret headquarters or whatever the hell it's called. It's on Disney Plus or something like that. Um, I thought, is that a Disney Plus thing? Which one? I think so. The secret headquarters, the Owen Wilson. Uh, yes. Hold on. I got you. I got you. I got you. All of this, the Lone movie went from being a theatrical release from MGM to now being an Amazon Paramount Paramount Prime thing. Uh, That happens. That definitely happens there. And especially with like COVID times and stuff like that, where, where studios were getting skittish about theater performance and decided to sell it off to a, to a streamer because it was just an easier um, point of distribution. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know that that says anything about the movie's quality. Um, I honestly didn't know what to, to think about this, but you know, Stallone, tends to get involved in some pretty decent stuff from time to time. And I don't think that this movie is going to set the world on fire or anything like that, but I like the premise and I like him. So I will, I will check this out. I looked at I'm thinking Hancock cross with unbreakable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, If I can see it for nothing, I'll, I'll go see it. I wouldn't pay. I wouldn't Look, pay I like, to go see it. I'll tell you that. I like the idea that we're at the point with this stuff where the superhero film genre, if you even want to call it that, has you know, leaked out to all of these other other projects outside of Marvel and DC. You can get that that stuff elsewhere, um, and everybody wants to get in on the action. So. Between being in, uh, being uh, Nanawe in Suicide Squad, and then being in the new Guardians of the Galaxy movie coming out, and now Samaritan, Sylvester Stallone's tapping into that superhero I market. To go back to being Dread. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Um, am I going to be the only one watching this, or is anybody else going to check it out? It, if it. I can see it for nothing, I will see it. All right. Sounds yeah, like a plan. I'll let you tell me how it is. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, I'll tell you how this other thing is. Star Wars. You heard of this? The Star Wars, right? They uh, released a trailer for Andor, which is, I guess, a precursor series to the events of Rogue One. I mean, it's got to be a precursor series. To yeah, Rogue it's got to be. <laughs> 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 um, I got to say... I I still have not watched all of Obi-Wan. I've only seen the first two episodes. However, this looks awesome. I they are doing something with this trailer that by the time it was over, I was like, let's go. I am so on board. This is the most excited I've been for a Star Wars thing since that um Star Wars animated anthology that came out. Visions, I think it was I called. I thought you were gonna say the holiday special. No. 
I have that. I have that in the basement somewhere. Yes, you should. Um, I just think this looks cool as hell. I, I, I like the look of it. I like the creature designs, the world design. Like, I don't know. Espionage, secret agent, Star Wars. I'm I'm into that. It sounds like a good time. And there's going to be a three episode premiere. So like a like a mini Star Wars movie to kick things off. That's cool. So I'm I'm into this a lot. Joey, you check this out too, Dude, right? I, as you know, Rogue One is like top three Marvel, top three Marvel, top three uh, Star Wars movies for me. Like Rogue One is, I love it. I love that movie. I love the pace. I love the style. I love the performances. I love the stakes. Woo! Um, and Andor, I'm so excited to see because I think it. It reaffirmed for me something that I the, the the part about Star Wars that I love is the rebellion against the Empire Star Wars. Like the original trilogy, obviously. Um, you know, the 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 rogue the reason why I love Rogue One is because it's about it's about the the fledgling rebellion taking on this giant empire. And this trailer promises that like beat after beat after beat after beat it's just like people normal quote-unquote normal people just being like we gotta we gotta step up like this is wrong and we have to step up and that is the part of star wars that i think works the time star wars kind of falls apart is when it kind of strays away from that and does other things but like the best star wars stuff is this so i think andor is gonna be I'm excited for it. And they got like this, this trailer is also just like the Stellan Skarsgård show for some reason. And I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. do it. Let's do it. He's just like in every scene in this trailer. So I'm like, whatever I'm down. Let's hit, let's hit it. I'm, I'm excited. I love it. Right on. Anybody else uh, check this out? Uh, uh, sorry. Well, All right. Well, it looks damn good. It. Let me tell you. I Did saw you? the trailer. Yeah, I saw it. Um, I will say that they know how to really make some really beautiful trailers and the, the amount of they're not shying away from funding for, for these movies. I'm telling you just for the, the, the landscapes and the, the, the effects and all that stuff. Um, I think they definitely are, are really, they're not cheaping out and they are they when they say they want to give you that star Wars feel or that, I don't know, something that just drives the nostalgia factor for you. They deliver on that. I will say, does it feel as though the more things that come out that are Star Wars related, the more of an exclusive club it feels like? Like I, I felt that about Obi-Wan. I felt that about Obi-Wan yeah. for sure. I was like, Obi-Wan, I was like, it's so cool seeing you and McGregor again. But this is clearly for fans of the Clone Wars. Yeah, I just feel like there is there are bouncers at the gate in front of lots of these shows that are really like checking to see your ideas. Like, do you have you read this novelization? Do you understand this? Do you know what happens here when we put this Easter egg in this? Will you get it as much? And not so much that it prevents you from understanding, because I still love everything about the Mandalorian. But there were definitely some things about the Mandalorian, like when Katie Sackhoff showed up. I'm like, wait, what? Who? But I had people who had to tell me what that meant and where the history of it was and the Clone Wars and all that stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, thanks for telling me. I just feel like they are they are definitely not trying to make it 
they I think they are leaning into making it this exclusive club. Like if you're in the know, you're in the know. Yeah. So, yeah. That can at times be daunting because it when I when I opened up Obi Wan to to watch it, I enjoyed it, but I knew I was missing a shit ton of stuff as I was watching yes. each episode. That's how that's I, how I felt too. So I just feel like they're, they're really they're leaning into it, and I know that's going to be the case with this. There's going to be things that I will just not click, uh, connect with, won't click for me. Mm-hmm. That I'm just going to have to accept that I will never understand unless someone explains it to me. Which, in a sense, makes their job a little bit harder because does it? Yeah, you, you know, you give all the Star Wars fans tiny orgasms with every episode. But <laughs> the other thing is, you, you, at times exclude other fans who may be a little bit more engaged if they knew what was happening. But, you know, I'm still excited about it, so I'll watch it. All right. Uh, when does that come out? Anybody? I don't is know. Is it September? I thought yeah, it was September. I something like that. September 30th, something like that. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah, not too, not too far. No, like two months. I can't decide whether two months is a really long time or no time at all. September 21st. Cool. All right, let's uh, let's circle back around to this other news. Bob, you want to uh, take the talking stick? Sure. Um, lost a absolute icon of science fiction and fandom this week, and Nichelle Nichols having passed away at age eighty nine. Uh, certainly, most known for playing Lieutenant uh, Nayara Uhura on Star Trek: The Original Series, as well as uh, six of the feature films since. Unless you're either old enough or really have read a lot of stuff, the, the impact that character had on where television was in 1966 might might get kind of lost as the world has changed, partly because of what she and Gene Roddenberry did. She had already worked with Gene Roddenberry back a couple of years before on a show that a lot of the Star Trek people had came from uh, called The Lieutenant. And he just saw her as a very talented performer who could help him realize his vision. He wanted the Enterprise to be, well, their crew should replicate Starship Earth and that everyone should be there. And in an era where African-American actors and actresses basically played domestics or thugs on television, that now he was going to have in his bridge crew an African-American woman in a position of power, a position of responsibility. And that changed things. Though at the time, as, as the story that I, I heard Ms. Nichols relate at a convention here on the, on the island, she was going to leave the show after a season because she didn't think her character had enough to do. And she's at this NAACP banquet and runs into someone who describes himself as her biggest fan, and her biggest fan was Martin Luther King Jr., who said to her, you, you can't leave, because for the first time on television, we'll be seen, as we should be seen every day, as intelligent, quality, beautiful people who can sing, dance, and yes, go into space, who are professors and lawyers. You know, don't, don't, don't leave his point was that you're an inspiration to an entire generation of people. And, and Ms. Nichols 
went back to Gene Roddenberry and was rescinding her resignation, which he said, yeah, I already tore that up. Don't worry about it. You're good to go. So she continued on with the show, the animated series, the movies to follow, worked with NASA in something called the, the Women in Motion Recruitment Program. They, that, that, not only Ms. Nichols, but her group recruited more than 8,000 people into NASA as scientists and astronauts, which included Sally Ride, the first female astronaut, and Guillaume Bullard, the first African-American astronaut. She even has an asteroid named after her. This is someone whose career spanned from singing with Duke Ellington and Count Basie to going into space, literally and figuratively, to the edge of the atmosphere, studying the atmosphere of Jupiter. This is a legacy that, that spans more than, yeah, she made movies and she did television shows. She changed lives. And so we, uh, we're we going to celebrate Michelle Nicholson. I'll be watching some Star Trek, no question. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was lovely, Bob. Thank you. That's awesome. Okay. Uh, I think what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the books that we're looking forward to next week now. And uh, then we're going to switch gears for uh, something of a special presentation, if you will. So, um, Bob, if you have your list, what books are you picking up this week? Poison Ivy 3. And if mm. I do believe I'll be getting these Atana young adult graphic novel this week. Nice. That's Is that it? it? Whoa. Uh, Aaron, what is in the pool for so, this week's maybes? Yeah. So everyone in the pool. Uh, Dark Crisis 3, Immortal X-Men 5, X-Men 5. No, sorry, X-Men Red 5, I believe it is. Um, Legion of X4, Once in Future 28, Multiversity Team Justice 3, and there's a new image book, The Dead Lucky Number 1, and Project Superpowers 5. Joey, how about you? Uh, closet number three, that Texas Blood 16. Uh, Mortal X-Men, maybe, but I'm not reading Axe, so I don't know. Dark Crisis 3, Legion of X4. There's a new book from Dark Horse from uh, James Asmus called Survival Street. I might check that out. That's it. All right. Wow. All right. You guys are making me feel a little... <laughs> I got a big list this week. I've got Aquaman Andromeda number two, Batman 126, Dark Crisis number three, DC versus Vampires number eight, Harley Quinn number 18, Poison Ivy number three, uh, Demon Wars, The Iron Samurai number one from Peach Momoko, The Closet number three, The Dead Lucky uh, coming out from Image number one, uh, also a new number one, Golden Rage. Number one, I'm going to check out Little Monsters, number six, Once in Future, 28, Sweet Paprika, number 11, That Texas Blood, 16, and Twig, number four. Oof. Pretty big list. Yeah, it's, it's – man, I'll tell you, there – ever since they switched up Comixology and I don't know my comic book totals because it's individually buying every book – I have no idea what kind of money I've been spending on comics lately, and I can guarantee you that it is more than I should because I've just been buying whatever whatever looks yummy, and that's definitely not the way to go. So, 
Bezos got to get to space, so he's got to figure out. Something. Could he stay there? Would be the question. Yeah, I was going to say she went to space. I, I have a suggestion though for you, Steve, but it's very retro. Sure. Paper and pencil when you buy these things, and just make it. Up. <laughs> I should. I should. Uh, you know. That's how I buy from Amazon. You, I write it down I, on a piece of paper and put it in my charge pile. It's like I spent forty-seven dollars. No, we should get Steve one of those calculators with the tape that you have to do the crank on the side. With, an old-fashioned editing machine. Yeah, yeah. He's like, he's like, <laughs> crank, 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 crank. Yeah, pull the lever down. Tape comes out. Yeah, it's um, it's gotten it's gotten pretty ugly uh, the last couple of months since I switched everything over, and um, I think there's gonna have to I'm gonna have to launch my own uh, reckoning war and find out what um, what books like these new number ones. Like I really should maybe I don't know wait to hear back from uh, some people or some outlets as to how good some stuff is, or I don't know. I hate doing that. I like making up my own mind. I don't know. Every time something ends, another thing starts. Like, oh, the closet number three, it's the last one. Yeah, but I have two new number ones on this list. Anyway, woe is me, right? Um, all right. So those are the books we're looking forward to. We are not going to have our normal uh, kind of wrap up and sign off this week because we're going to be doing something a little different. I, uh, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't really know how to deliver something like this. It's, uh, it's one thing for a celebrity to pass or a comic book creator to pass and kind of prepare something. But when it's someone in the extended talking comics family and one of my dear friends, this is particularly hard. Um, I cannot promise that I won't cry during this uh, next segment, but uh, we're going to give this a shot and see uh, how far we can get. So um, many of you obviously probably don't know, but our uh, dear friend and extended member of the talking comics family, Harry Jackson has passed away. I first met Harry through Joe Blow's Movie Fan Central forums, um, probably somewhere around 2009, 2011, something like that, uh, where we geeked out about the movies we love and made plans to meet in New York City for various adventures. Harry was bright-eyed, enthusiastic, and kind beyond words. Anyone who knew him would say he's the genuine article, an old soul who basked in the warmth of friendship, laughter, and curiosity. Meeting up with Harry was always one of the highlights of Comic-Con for me. We would catch up and share stories from the weekend. And without fail, he'd asked me to draw in his official NYCC sketchbook alongside legends I had no business being in the same book as. Sorry. Harry was the kind of person who liked to pump people up. He was also a go-to source for the best chicken wings and pinball tables, no matter where you were. You could go for months without talking to Harry, then pick up the pieces as if, you, as if you'd just spoken yesterday. He was that kind of person. We will miss him dearly and bid him safe travels as he rides in a DeLorean to the great hereafter. Uh, big Back to the Future fan. 
We'd also like to extend our sincerest condolences to Harry's family, his fiance Jen. They were supposed to be married this coming weekend. His many friends and anyone who was lucky enough to know him. So in honor of Harry, uh, we went back into the archives to pull some of his contributions to the podcast, including listener questions and a voice recording that he'd left for us during our 500th podcast celebration. I cannot express to you, I can't tell you how much Harry has been a fan of this show and of us collectively from the very, very beginning when I told him that I was getting involved in this project and that we were growing out the the Talking Comics brand, he was so excited. He was always really enthusiastic. He has done many, many amazing things uh, in the years that he's been with us. And although my time with him was kind of few and far between throughout the years, we would always make a point of catching up every couple of months and doing kind of like a check-in just to see where we were both at. And he's one of the people that I've met in life that I admired in a way of just how genuinely warm and caring and kind he always was. It, it just, it really just blew me away. And um, I just, I feel privileged to have known him and, and to have spent time with him and shared those laughs and those good times with him. And I will miss him terribly. Amen. Amen to that. Um, when we we yeah. began this enterprise all those years ago, more than a decade, and we went to our first New York Comic Con, Harry was one of the people we were we had to meet. We had all corresponded with him. He was on the forums and email uh, on comments, and the and yeah. the real life Harry was so much larger than life than the one we knew electronically, who was a titan in and of himself. His emails were legend. Steve, I know you have yeah. tons of them. I do too, where he would yeah. just go back and forth. He loved that we did those crazy radio plays. Loved yeah. you playing, you know, Captain Captain Marvel's twin sister, for instance. I was just reading one back today. <laughs> um, he mentioned when we did our, our Lovecraftian thing that he, he actually had a pullover to the side of the road. And I went, why? Because it was terrible, right? He went, no, I was actually scared. I went, okay, well, that's good. Uh, but we, we, we met at the first con. He went to our, our, our soirees afterwards. Always had something yeah. positive to say. And in those moments when we sometimes needed to hear something positive, when things were not going where they were, you always knew Harry was going to be there with, with something something special. Um, you mentioned that book. I, I, got, I got to sign that book. I had never given anybody an autograph except the bank. And, and yeah. it was, you know, well, I need to have, well, you guys sign my book. It's like, well, really? Okay, sure. Yeah. And yeah. it felt like we we have a fan. And not only is he just a fan of us and that felt good, it was someone who was of such high quality that what, as you said, see, what he did with his life, he, he, he was studying for a, a law degree when we first met him. Yeah, which went on to be yeah, a he giant was... career of such magnitude. It's incredible to think that yeah, he's he's this guy's one of ours, and you, you take great yeah. pride in that, great love in that. He's done really tremendous things for the indigenous yeah. communities. He has, you know, he's a big kind of, or was a big pinball junkie, and you know, competed in the the pinball circuits and stuff around Jersey, and just brought a really 
big positive energy to him whenever whenever I was around him he was just always bursting and and him sitting me down and following me around when he would catch me in the hallways of NYCC and I'd be doing cosplay work or something for Joe Blow and he would just walk with me and follow me around until I had a couple of minutes to sit down with him and to draw in his sketchbook year in and year out and the idea that he would include me in this book include us in this book with all of these other, you know, heavy hitter creators and all these people that drew these magnificent things. And then I'm in there doodling one of my, you know, big eye characters. And I always felt so bad because he would catch me very cold, like in the drawing process. Like I usually have to warm up a little bit and he would just ask me to draw him something. And I felt like I always drew him the crappiest things, but he loved them anyway, because I drew them for him. And it was such a nice it was such a nice thing, you know, and it was just, it was his way of showing love and being appreciative and, and, you know, sharing in that experience, going to see the Avengers premiere with him in Manhattan with a bunch of people. When that went down, I'll never forget that. That was an incredible night. We had so much fun. That theater was packed and people were freaking out at that movie. We had a blast and yeah, I, um, you know, I've been following him and Jen uh, leading up to their wedding, seeing how happy they were. And then woke up on Sunday and saw the news or, you know, got the news from a friend and I was devastated. And I, I still am. I'm still, I'm still in shock over it. It just, I'm, I'm still in the place where it doesn't seem real. Like Joey mentioned that news story uh, about the, the crash. And I, I found it online it was hard it was kind of hard to read because they did have uh photos of some of the wreckage and i just i couldn't scroll down that far i don't i don't necessarily want to see that but um you know it's uh it's tragic and it sucks and i'm gonna miss them a lot and um so i think what we're gonna do is uh we're gonna share some of harry's old listener questions and we're gonna we're gonna re-ask them. We're gonna go into the archives and uh, see if we can maybe come up with some old some old new old answers <laughs> to these questions. Um, and then I think what we're gonna do instead of our regular uh, crawl at the end, we're gonna play Harry's uh, 500th episode message for everybody, just so you can get a sense of of who he was and just how enthusiastic and amazing um, he was and always will be. So Harry wrote in, this was a long time ago. Uh, Thanks for doing a listener appreciation show. Remember when we used to do those? (laughs) Love these episodes and think, uh, think it is part of what sets you guys ahead of the pack. You'd be so disappointed. (laughs) I have three questions. Feel free to answer any or none. First question. We all know that Bob has, as the self-described Johnny Appleseed, introduced many of us to uh, the wonderful world of Fantastic Four, number one rocked. Also, Bobby recently introduced Steve to Green Lantern's world. I don't necessarily remember that, but okay. Uh, For each host, what is your favorite book or webcomic that another co-host has introduced to you? So that's our first question from Harry. Um, I kind of went around to our our current uh hosts to to pull some books 
and uh, came up with one for each or several for each. Bob has compelled me to read through the unbeatable squirrel girl. One of the best comic book, one of the best comic books period, but one of the best gifts to my, my comic book reading career that I'll ever get was you pushing that book again and again and again to the point where I read it and enjoy just every last page. I wore of it. you down finally. huh? <laughs> yeah. So amazing. So great. Uh, I remember going to Bronwyn's hockey games and, and bringing that with me and reading through that. Uh, Silver Surfer is another one. Uh, Fantastic Four, of course. Uh, Aaron brought excellence to my attention, which I absolutely love. Uh, Joey Backstagers, Fuck of yeah. course. And I'm pretty, sh- I'm pretty sure that you brought uh, About Betty's Boob to the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I that that book still gets me. I I absolutely absolutely love it. Um for John and I know he's going to listen to this. I'm sorry buddy. I can't think of anything specific, but I will say John definitely contributes to the tipping point at which I go back and read some of the best stuff that I've been missing out on. It's usually his enthusiasm and You mean like Daredevil? Well, I mean, no, because I've I'm I'm reading Daredevil uh, actively and whatnot. Um, I guess you could count Daredevil. I don't know. Every now and again, he'll he'll talk really enthusiastically about something, and it'll be like the last nail. I'm like, all right, fine, <laughs> all right. You all you all have been talking about it for a while, but now that the you know the circle has been completed with John weighing in, now I've got to go and do this. Um, and then for uh, for Chris, who's been occupying the rotating chair for the last little while, uh, I'm going to say everything is fine. The webtoon, uh, one of my absolute favorite things of all time, season one of that webtoon, um, and something that has definitely stuck with me long, long after reading it. It is so damn good. And season two is happening right now, and it's just as weird and wild as the first, and I love it so much. Um, so that's for me, uh, Joey, do you have an answer for this? Yeah, I got, I got plenty of stuff. Um, some of them you mentioned, you know, silver surfer, uh, um, I mentioned daredevil. Like I, I, I've been off daredevil for years, but hearing John talk about daredevil all the time, I was just like, fine, God damn it. I'll read this book. <laughs> and, uh, thank God I did. Um, wonder twins, you know, Aaron was talking about that forever and I, I, I picked that one up. Uh, Lady Killer, Clean Room, Legend of Wonder Woman. Those were never on my radar until y'all, especially Bob, were talking about those. Murder Falcon, for sure. Yeah, Murder Falcon. Wouldn't have been something I picked up. You mentioned Squirrel Girl, Bad Reception, I loved. Back when like Melissa was on the show talking about Infidel, I freaking loved that book. Never would have yeah. been on my map. Um, uh, going way back when like, like Lazarus, like never read Lazarus, but Mara talked about it all the time. So I, I made sure to read that one. Um, Department of Truth. Uh, uh, I walk with monsters. Sarah's used to talk about it all the time. You know, that yeah. was what you and Steve, you too. Like that was definitely on my list. Um, uh, Steve, do you remember sound of the world by heart? Oh yes. That book comes up in my like brain often and it is exclusively because you talked about it on the show uh pretty sure i would not have read it otherwise oh Um, god 
I should go back and read that. Yeah, again. you know, I, I kind of want to too. And then finally, giraffes on horseback salad. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that book. <laughs> Never in a billion years would have been anywhere near my pull list. And, and there I was reading that book. <laughs> I The only reason that I didn't add that to my list was because I knew that somebody else would bring it up. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's such a – listeners, if you've not read Giraffes and Horseback Salad, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. It is so if you good. you love the Marx Brothers and Salvador Dali or both, it's a combination of both things. So, yeah. Oh, it's so weird. It's so good. I loved it. Uh, Aaron, do you have uh, any answers for this question? I have some, but I might have confused who brought oh, it yeah. to this show. So I'm not for sure. sure. So for Bob, I remember specifically, that was very easy. I think, uh, I hope I'm not embarrassing myself. It was Avengers Assemble. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and Black and Black Magic. Uh, but I specifically oh. remember. Yeah, that I was specifically big. remember. Yeah, I specifically remember Avengers Assemble because I was just like, he keeps talking about this. I was a listener at the time. He keeps talking about this. He keeps talking about this. What What's this all about? And I remember reading it, and I remember specifically Hulk make me a sandwich. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll read this. I was like, I'll do that. Um, for Steve, the one that immediately – I went with what immediately popped in my head. The one that immediately came to me, and I, and I don't know whether someone else – you know recommended to you but i remember specifically hearing you talking about and that was i kill giants yeah oh yeah that was definitely me <laughs> yeah. and then i think this was joey i think was it impending blindness of billy scott hell yes that was me that book was awesome <laughs> <laughs> i was like i think that's the one that joey remember because i was looking i'm like yeah that book that book brought some tears to my eyes so you know there was that um, it was funny because I had the same thing with John. I'm like, as I close my eyes and search my mind's eye, all that keeps popping up is X Men, X Men, X Men. It's <laughs> like, so John's my ride or die X Men guy. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Bob, how about you? Back into the Wayback Machine. Um, Bobby definitely, I hadn't read Batman in years, and because of the whole Scott Snyder thing, as you guys all began, I hadn't even started. Uh, Scott Snyder's Batman became a thing for me, read a lot of that and enjoyed the heck out of that. Uh, Stephanie was definitely got me to read Saga, which I had no clue what, oh, what yeah. that would have been at the time. As has been mentioned, Steve, I Kill Giants is something I... I can't tell you how many times I've watched the movie, reread that book, and done the two things at once sometimes. Just one of my favorites. And since I can't tell whether it was you or, or Joey who did Giant Days, I'll put you both on that list. Oh, boy. You're <laughs> opening up a can yeah, here. can of what bass is going to get opened up. Uh, but I'm not sure who. But, uh, Joey, back, we all know the Backstagers truth. is something I absolutely adore as well. So thank you. Thank you for that. Aaron, Far Sector wouldn't have come into my radar without you. Love uh-huh. me some Joe. That's awesome. Love me some Joe. Um, uh, Sarah got me to read Once in Future, which <gasps> never yeah, never would have thought of. One hundred percent agree. Yeah, uh, Jess and Crowded. Oh yeah, which wouldn't wouldn't have thought about uh, otherwise. Uh, Melissa and Harrow County. Hmm. 
Uh, Mara definitely Lazarus. That that was something I I, I like Rocco, but, oh, but Lazarus. Ikea, but I mentioned before, and and John, I gotta, you know, I probably would have picked it up, or actually, I think I did pick it up, but didn't read it. Was World's Finest because I was I don't read Superman and Batman anymore. Oh, oh that's yeah, a good one. For sure. That's a yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. So uh, sorry, there we go. There's your bone, John. You know what, Bob? Sorry, John. I'm going to throw one your way too, which was your passion for Silver Surfer, which is a character I have oh. zero interest in reading, really. But your passion for the Dan Slot, Michael Allred, Laura Allred, Silver Surfer, kept that book in my radar for years, and it, it remains one of like the best books I've ever read for a character that I genuinely have zero interest in. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, me too. When me go back and pull up, I was gonna say, Bob, you made me go back and pull up FF. Um, oh, because I never, I was never gonna read that. I remember you kept talking about it. Thank you, guys. I'll tell you, you, you mentioned Surfer, and I'll just just to digress for a second. I it came up last week or two weeks ago that we needed to make a list of whatever. So I was looking at some of my list of favorite characters. Dawn Greenwood from Slot and All Reds Surfer is one of my favorite characters ever. I just love Dawn Greenwood. Just saying. She's just amazing. Saying. So if people haven't read the Slot All Reds Surfer, go do yourself a favor. All right, let's move on to the second question okay. here. Question two, looking at my polls and willingness to experiment with books from Marvel now, I find myself much more likely to pick up a new Marvel book than a DC title. I do not want to start a war over which company is better, but I really cannot put a finger on where my Marvel bias comes from. Aside from the creators behind the books, why do people gravitate to one uh, company over another? Do you guys see any big differences between the creative teams? I realize my bias may also uh, be due to the Marvel recap pages on the first page of every book. Or the Marvel movies. Um, those Marvel recaps definitely do help. They helped me when I was jumping back into Fantastic Four. I was like, let me just catch up to make sure I know what's what. Um, you know, it's funny. I've found that my pull lists are a really great way to tell where I'm leaning. And this year has definitely been a DC year for me as opposed to Marvel. I am kind of astonished by the lack of Marvel books that I've been reading throughout this year. Every week that I make my list, there are less and less Marvel titles on it and, and always a fair amount of DC books. Uh, for me, it, it fluctuates. It depends. It depends on mood. It depends on where characters are at in their careers. Uh, depends on the events that are happening at uh, the respective companies and um, yeah, I'm definitely not going to engage in the which one is better war because I think that they both have their strengths and weaknesses and I love all comics. So I'm just going to stay in Switzerland <laughs> on that one. Um, do you see any big differences between uh, besides the creative teams? I don't know. There's been a lot of cross pollination since this uh question was submitted however many years ago and i i think the lines on those things are blurred as well people are, are always kind of switching sides and exper dabbling and experimenting and we've seen a lot of 
indie creators move on to the big two. Someone like David Pepos now writing uh, Savage Avengers and Fantastic Four and Tom Brevoort, you know, giving him kudos in his latest uh, like address to everybody. What the hell you call it? Newsletter. And yeah, it's um, I don't know. I don't uh, I don't end up on one side of the dividing line or the other. I think they're both great. Um, anybody else want to jump in on this? Sure. Marvel's Go better. ahead. <laughs> That's simple. That's simple, Aaron. Uh, I what's that, Aaron? No. Go ahead. Say yeah. it one more time. I was like, Marvel's better. <laughs> Go ahead, Bob. I'm sorry. Um, I find that at this point, I'm buying almost no DCs. Um. Mm-hmm. Some of that is the nature of their event programming, which I'm I'm not thrilled with. I have I have event fatigue and have for a very long time. Uh, I there are way too many interconnected books, and that's the Marvel does that too. I don't read any X Men books for all that right now, even though they might be a very high quality. Same with the Bat books. What mm-hmm. I think really especially in the period where Harry asked this question, which is now a decade ago, you were looking at a period where Marvel was experimenting with all sorts of things. You're dealing with the new Marvel Now initiative that was the relaunch of Captain Marvel, soon to come Kamala and Squirrel Girl and Puka and all the things, those crazy little books that we loved. Marvel tried something different. And they continued to, to put out weird little books and miniseries that all look a little different. For the most part, there's a there's a house style of DC in the artwork that is not in my wheelhouse anymore. It's vibrant, it's bold, it's muscular, I'll put it that way. It is oftentimes dark. And I'm not in that headspace anymore. So mm-hmm. for me, I, I drift to smaller books from both companies and, and DC... Loving Batgirls, because it's so different than everything else they're doing. Loved what T. Franklin yeah. did with the uh, Eat, Bang, Kill tour with Harley. Yeah. That stuff attracts me. And big books with teams of superheroes being the snot out of each other doesn't it, – it, it, it can't find the 12-year-old me that used to love those things anymore. <laughs> Yeah, right. I, I'm inclined to agree there. I, I aside, aside from the X Men stuff, which has been since my childhood, you know what I've read and I, I dive back into. Although there was a period of time between when Harry asked this question and, and we're answering it now that I did not read any X books, um, and I'm just now kind of jumping back into them all and loving them for the last couple of years. But to Bob's point, it, for me at both houses, it's the it's the tiny stuff. It's the it's the weird stuff. It's the stuff with unique art styles that really draw for me. I'm not as beholden really to Marvel or DC in the same way that I was maybe six, seven years ago. In fact, I, I find myself more willing now to take a risk and buy a DC book than a Marvel book uh, because Marvel, I just – for me too also – it's just I'm so familiar with it, and the, and and I don't see them taking as many risks as they did at this time mm-hmm. with the Marvel Now stuff that Harry's referencing. Um, it's kind of waffled the other way, and yeah, like some of the DC mainline stuff is exactly what Bob's talking about, and and I think rightfully so, critical of. 
But that DC Black Label has got me lit. Uh, every okay, like yeah. What, what they're putting out, I will check out. Like, I will re- get a number one, you know, even if it's something that, like, look, for me, I don't necessarily have that familiarity with the characters. And if it's a departure from the character, I don't necessarily feel that. Instead, I'm reading a, I'm reading a very dynamic, interesting, creator-driven story for a character that I'm kind of familiar with. I'm not really seeing that happening over at Marvel to the same degree as it was maybe six, seven years ago. And there's tons of reasons for that. But, you know, we all have our corners. When Bendis jumped over to DC, I read a Superman, you know, going back to Steve's comment from before. And I think that more cross-pollination between artists and creators, you know, Vita's, Vita's at both. So I'll read whatever Vita puts out. <laughs> like, I, they're one of my favorites. So, like, um, so I, 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 it's funny that looking back on this question – where we would have been eight years ago, nine years ago, when he asked this question, I think, you know, D- DC new 52 was like at it's like midpoint at this point, you know, and, and, and Marvel now is just kind of lighting up the industry. So yeah, it's interesting yeah. to think about. And I think arguably for me, I am kind of going through like a, a, a bat Renaissance right now. Well, yeah, exactly. And, because of that, because that extends to because the bat stuff is so much that that is the reason for the uh, much more DC than Marvel these days. But you mentioned that black label stuff. Are you reading um, the last issue just came out? Rogues. I'll read it now. <laughs> you should. You should. <laughs> it's awesome. Came out, I will definitely be reading yeah. it. It's Cap- Captain Cold and a bunch of a bunch of rogues in there like probably 60s uh, going to Gorilla Grodd's island to rob him. And it goes poorly. It's real, real good. I read the first issue of that. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's done now. It's great. Cool. Yeah. And like, look, don't get me wrong because of that familiarity with the Marvel side of the universe. If a new series comes out, I'll check it out. You know, whereas DC, it's, it's like more just toes in the water trying to fight, figure out things. But I find myself excited by DC stuff a little bit more now um, than I was maybe six, seven years ago. Yeah. I think for me, it's a little bit, I was going to say a little bit country, a little bit rock and roll. (laughs) I think it's, um, a little there are gems in both camps if i were to try to to identify the the big characteristics of each company i think dc will sometimes tell a better story for side characters than they will for their main characters yeah, I think I look back on things like like Joey said earlier, Wonder Twins and Snagglepuss and Flintstones and things of that nature, where they leaned into that stuff and that brought a new dynamic to DC. But I also think that sometimes DC will will um, phone things in when it comes to the bigger characters because I think just I think they believe that putting a name on the label will sell the books. So there were there are whole swaths of the DC universe that I think are not well well-written stories. Um, but again, there are gems, you know, in that, like Bob said earlier, far sector, even when we were talking about before young justice being so fun and, you know, when it's not linked to that, to a main through line of continuity, then yeah. Cause you know, then how long have they been doing the, the dark source wall, whatever crisis, whatever that was, that whole thing that Scott Snyder 
did metal. Uh, years ago. Yeah. That started years ago. Metal. Thank yeah. you. All that metal stuff that you know that took over and created a sort of it sort of tainted that main line because everything linked back to that into this sort of universe bending ending you know story so there so it depends on which yard you're standing in if you're standing in that yard then you can get overwhelmed and sort of everything becomes homogenous but if you're standing in sort of like other smaller yards where they are you know sort of encapsulating themselves and just telling these very cool stories then i think they do well storytelling wise though i think Marvel will do a better job at telling a more nuanced story for a major character. Um, I, I just recall us all loving uh, Black Widow. Oh, Kelly Thompson? Um, and the story, yes, yeah. and the story that was being told there. Um, you know, and things of that nature. I think they do really well at sometimes telling more nuanced story. Yeah, they sometimes get very carried away, Hickman's whiteboard uh, and X-Men, um, you know, but they do also have the ability to tell very nuanced stories around their major characters. Um, I think a little bit better than, you know, maybe a DC at times, because, you know, if you want reference to what I'm talking about, roll back about an hour to Bob talking about Artemis. Yeah, <laughs> so, you go. You know, and you'll, you'll, you'll see what I'm saying. Um, so yeah, I think there's just it. It really depends on which yard you're standing in, in both in both you know, both areas, both uh, publishers. But um, I think at the time though, when the new Fifty Two still have been a thing, when, when he wrote the story, would it have still been yeah, about yeah, halfway through? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So I think yeah, a lot of people would probably be angry at that time. Me, I would probably been sort of like, well, you know, it's as good as anything else. But I think a lot of people were still <laughs> angry at DC at the time. So you know, there's that. Cheers to that. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Uh, and there's one last question from Harry that we can hit up. This will be a quick one. Uh, who would win in a fight, Mumu or Pizza Dog? My money is on Mumu. Well, you've been explained to everyone Here's who Mumu is, Steve. I know, but yeah. Okay. Mumu is my, uh, my old cat. Um, she has since passed on. One of the greatest animals I'd ever known. Mumu was a big attraction on the Talking Comics podcast for a number of years. Uh, much beloved. One of the just so, so sweet. Uh, and Pizza Dog, at the height of his popularity when yeah. this uh, these questions were probably <laughs> submitted. Who would win in a fight? Here's the thing. I don't think that they would fight. I think that they would be friends. I think that Pizza Dog is a sweetheart. And I think that as soon as Mumu and Pizza Dog got together for a slice, they would give a couple of kisses. They would share a slice of pizza. And then they would go rescue a bunch of people from a flooded building. I like that answer. I'm going to go with yeah, that. Yeah, I like that answer. Yeah, I'm leaning into that. Yeah, that's what I that's what I think would, would go down. All right. Um, so that's going to do it for the questions we would like to play for you now. Uh, Harry had called in for our 500th podcast celebration and left us just a tremendous message. And from the bottom of our hearts, love you and we'll miss you so, 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 so much. Uh, until next time on the Talking Comics podcast, to be continued. What's going on, Talking Comics? This is Harry, longtime listener, first-time caller, I guess. Um, I've always wanted to say that. I never never had a chance to until now. 
Um, I just wanted to call and tell you guys that I, I am so proud of you. Congratulations on 500 episodes. I remember way back when uh, I, I met Steve through a movie fan forum uh, and he was putting together a podcast talking about to- comic books and I you know, was excited to listen to you guys early on way back in like 2012. Um, and since then it's been, it's been a great ride and I've been in and out of comic books myself, but talking comics has always been there, um, to, to help, you know, guide me and, and catch me up on what's going on in the industry. Uh, there are things that the talking comics podcast has been doing, better than most comics journalism out there. And and it's things like giving credit to the writers, the artists, the letterers, the colorists. Now, you may not always get the names quite right, but that's one of the things that as listeners we love about the podcast and that you guys are, are uh, more than willing to laugh at yourselves and, and, and have fun and not take it so seriously. Um, I also have Talking Comics to thank for meeting some of the best people around the world, uh, other listeners uh, that I consider not only friends but also family um, and that I never would have had the opportunity to meet had it not been for the podcast. Uh, it's It's been so great and, and I miss each and every one of you uh, doing in-person meetings at, at cons and you know hopefully we'll get back to those days sometime. But uh, just keep doing what you guys are doing. Um, you've always had uh, diverse voices, which is something that as a listener, I, I really appreciate. You always highlight when, um, because comic books aren't always the best with when it comes to diverse issues. And, and you guys aren't afraid to go there and, um, and call people out when they need to be. Uh, and I just wanted to say that you, you've inspired me to expand my universe beyond the the big two and beyond the superhero books and and check out things like saga and punk rock jesus and morning glories and the wicked and the divine I, I would have missed all of those books had it not been for talking comics and you know it, it led me to go back to my local comic book store and and get involved with with them and and now i'm a part owner of of a comic book store which is another thing that probably would have never happened without the podcast uh so I just want to say congratulations, 500 episodes. I am so proud of all of you. Um, Bob, I, I owe you probably 50 emails from way back when, but I just want to say I'm, I'm just so happy to hear uh, you guys You know, are still going forward. You're, you're going strong as ever. Uh, the, the quality of the podcast has never been better. And, uh, you know, I, I love each and every one of you and keep on doing what you're doing. Uh, hopefully we'll all be able to meet up at the Algonquin uh, over drinks. And uh, I will be excited to be toasting episode 600 or 700 or 800 and, and many, many more to come. So congratulations, Talking Comics. Take care.